Today's episode of the Film Stage Show is brought to you by Mubi, a curated streaming service that is dedicated to elevating great cinema from around the globe. For your free 30-day trial of Mubi, go to mubi.com slash filmstage. back ladies and gentlemen to a brand new episode of the film stage show the movie review podcast for the filmstage.com as always i'm your host brian j rowan with me today we have robin Barr. hello we also have bill graham i don't think that's how you improve your bust <laughs> all right and with us today we have a special guest it's lovia jace hi everyone hello how are you doing today Good, good. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Absolutely. Thank you for joining us to talk with us about Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. Um, before we get into all that stuff, though, would you like to introduce yourself to our uh, our listening audience? Yes, of course. Um, hello, all listeners. Um, my name is Lovia Jace. I am the arts and culture critic over at The Hollywood Reporter. Um, and yeah, I write about... <laughs> <laughs> that was a very about, subdued whoop, Robin. Very cute. <laughs> I write about film, the occasional television shows, and sometimes a Broadway show. Yeah, I read your uh, Fat Ham review. It was very good. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, I really, I really liked that show. Although we can talk offline about how I felt about it being adapted to a bigger stage. You mm-hmm. know, when I first saw it, it was much more intimate, and that felt very cozy and cool. But anyway, that's. Um, I, I beyond the scope of this podcast. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, new Hamlet uh, adaptation. <laughs> oh, new Hamlet just dropped. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> In New York. Better or worse than the Lion King? Hmm. Mm. You can't. You can't compare them. Okay. You know, yeah. so I'm. I'm. Well, I I'm just meant refuse- in terms of like Hamlet adaptations, not in terms of Broadway things i didn't even realize that until i said it I was like oh shit there's like a really famous broadway play. oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um it's different different i should have said the northman it doesn't matter <laughs> <laughs> oh god anyway yes and we are here as i said today to talk about are you there god it's me margaret uh this movie from director kelly freeman craig um based on the uh, seminal novel by judy bloom um before we get into that all the usual Michigas up front. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at Film Stage Show, Facebook, The Film Stage Show. Uh, you can email us podcast at filmstage.com. Uh, give us a comment or rating on iTunes so that other people can hear about how fucking wonderful we are. And um, <laughs> why, why is that funny? I love that. All right, great. Yeah, see? That's fine. Um, and what was the other thing I was going to say? Oh, yeah. Go to patreon.com slash the film stage show to give us your money. Because, again, we're fucking wonderful. Um, we are also brought to you by Mubi, which, again, is the uh, streaming service that helps to elevate amazing cinema from around the globe. From iconic directors to emerging auteurs, there's always something new to discover. With Mubi, each and every film is hand-selected, so you can explore the best of cinema streaming anytime, anywhere. And speaking about podcasts that are fucking amazing, the movie podcast is back. It's returning for its third season, Needle on the Record, a six-episode mixtape for film lovers. 
Each episode explores an iconic needle drop that has become part of pop culture. From the 19th century waltz that launched Stanley Kubrick's 2001 A Space Odyssey into orbit to the 80s cover tune that Donnie Darko sent to the top of the UK pops, guests include director Richard Kelly, actor Jenna Malone, music supervisor Randall Poster, and musicians Noel Hogan and Paul Douglas. Listen and follow wherever you get your podcast. Perhaps the exact same place that you're listening to this podcast. And just remember that you can try Mubi for free for 30 days by going to Mubi.com slash Filmstage. Again, that's M-U-B-I dot com slash Filmstage for a whole month of great cinema for free. So go check all that wonderful stuff out. Um, That's all I've got up front, unless anyone else, Robin, has anything they'd like to say before we begin. No, but I was curious if you got to see the movie, Brian. I did not. No, I didn't have the opportunity to see this movie. I um, I my weekend's been fucking. My last two weekends have actually been crazy, incredibly busy. Um, it, which is why I had such a visceral reaction to you being like, "If you can't see the movie, you should read the book." Which is the book like, is like a two-hour read. Fucking most insane <laughs> thing. I don't have two hours to see the movie. When yeah, I- but it's not two hours to see the movie. It's like four hours between traffic and parking and like popcorn and all that shit that people do. <laughs> all that shit that people do. I don't know. You I know, never get popcorn at the movies. You know how you humans are. I don't get popcorn at the movies. I show up like 15 minutes into the trailers now. I That's how tight my time frame is. So Damn. yesterday, yesterday, I wake up. At six o'clock in the morning, I put my bread loaves in the oven. Shut up. I make food for my daughter. What a bull. What did you say? I said, what a bull. I don't. Is that a, what is that? What does that mean? A bull? I mean, I don't know how to pronounce it. Who speaks French? Do you know what okay. Awesome. No one. Uh, no. So then at 830, I go to stage for the parade that my daughter and I are walking in. That takes us up until, I don't know, 11-something, at which point I run to the distillery to eat a quarter of a burrito before I run to the farmer's market, and then I run back to the distillery to do our whiskey tasting club, and then I get home, I eat one-fifth of the Chinese food that I got, and then I fell asleep. When would you have liked me to fit a book in, Robin? I don't know. When you after, (laughs) instead of taking a nap. There was no nap. (laughs) You fell asleep. Oh, I don't know what time that was. Yeah, Whatever. Exactly. This is not like the life and times of suburban fatherhood. I guess. <laughs> oh, I thought that was another Judy Bloom novel. I was like, oh, is that one really long? <laughs> Are you there, God? It's me, Margaret. And then its sequel, The Life and Times of Suburban Fatherhood, <laughs> which is a Rosencrantz and Guildenstern style novel yes. where her father is the main character. You know, uh, Benny Softy was very good in this movie. I was just going to say, honestly, could see that as a sequel. Yeah. To this film. <laughs> All right. I'll get Benny on the phone and we'll see what we can do for you guys. So you'll be the audience proxy who has not seen the film with yeah. all of your questions. Every and- once in a while, I will unmute myself to say, interesting. Can you expand on that? And then I'll go back to, mm-hmm. I don't know, checking TikTok. <laughs> okay. That I'm is joking. Rude. You know that I'm staying. <laughs> yeah, I know. I love to ask crazy questions. You know I love TikTok. (laughs) (laughs) No, I hate TikTok. Actually, now that I'm mainly on bread making TikTok, TikTok's become a good place again. Oh, my God. 
It's nice when it fulfills your needs. I'm on Garden TikTok heavy. Oh, I've, 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 I'm yeah. on Garden. I'm on Bread. Um, occasionally woodworking. Wow. Yeah. Life and times of suburban fatherhood. When do you this have time all... to do all this stuff? Uh, usually <laughs> at like three in the morning when I've woken up and can't fall back to sleep. It's pretty bad. It's pretty Ooh. awful. Uh-huh. Yeah. Actually, yeah, I Bill, I haven't even really movie. watched any this week because I've been too busy. So uh, God only knows what new twists and turns have happened with Cake Gate. All my oh, TikTok God. friends out there will know what I'm talking about. Anyway, uh, who I wants sadly to talk know because about... you explained it last episode. <laughs> yes, it's amazing. Um, anyway, who wants to talk about this movie that we're here to talk about? I do. Let's do it. All right. Awesome. Yes. The movie again is Are You There, God? It is me, Margaret, uh, the prequel to Life and Times of Suburban Fatherhood. <laughs> um, no, this is, of course, based on the classic uh, Generations defining novel by Judy Bloom. Um, it is written and directed by Kelly Freeman Craig, and uh, it stars Rachel McAdams. Rachel McAdams. <laughs> I know. I really tripped over that one. Kathy Bates, <laughs> Betty Safdie, and Abby Ryder Fortson, amongst many others, who I'm sure we will talk about. Uh, and here is part of the trailer. Are you there, God? It's me, Margaret. I'm here to speak to you today about your changing bodies. The blood is released through the vagina. Please, just do this one thing for me. Let me just be normal and regular like everybody else. Just please, 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 please. All right, so that is part of the trailer for Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. And uh, we're here to talk about it. I did not get an opportunity to see this movie, um, which I'm not that pleased about. Um, I enjoyed... To an extent, The Edge of Seventeen. No, I really like The Edge of Seventeen. It's a yeah, I love I that movie. Like. Um, <laughs> I was trying to remember which one I didn't really uh, care for that much. No, Edge of Seventeen is great because it's the one where I was like, finally, someone is talking about the scourge of the send button and the delete button being right next to one another, <laughs> <laughs> which is a real, actual problem in this world, and I don't know why mm-hmm. we're still dealing with it. But anyway, uh, I'm excited to hear what everyone else on this podcast thought about it while I occasionally uh, jump in with a, that's interesting. Please tell me more. Um, <laughs> so let's... No, it's more like, are you fucking kidding me? They did. What? I don't. Okay. I don't. I hope. Actually, it would be really awesome if it did happen. I, I don't assume that this is going to be one of those times where I'm like, I'm sorry. They did what in this movie? That's what they decided <laughs> to do. But it would be funny if it was. Anyway, well, we, we shall see. Oh yeah, God, yeah. It's gonna only, be what? only time will tell. Yeah, in this conversation. <laughs> I'm excited now because uh, I feel like everyone knows something I don't. What was the movie? It was the James Gray one, right? Where I was like, yeah. "That's the end of the movie. That's yeah. not like the, the end of the first apocalypse act." Time. Yeah. yeah. Oh my God! Fucking nuts. Mm. Anyway, uh, looking forward to having that same reaction to much of this movie, probably. Anyway, uh, Lovia, would you like to begin us off with your spoiler-free nutshell thoughts on uh, Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. And also, have you read the novel as well? Yes. So I think, to preface, I grew up as a Judy Bloom fan. So that colored a lot of how I feel about the film, which I really enjoyed. I think there is like a um, pre... Well, I, I don't know how to divide my two opinions, but like there's a like... a immediate reaction to watching it which was like a huge sigh of relief thank god i love this Mm -hmm. you know like she didn't fuck it up 
And then there's the longer, which I'll get into, like, now that I feel safe with this adaptation, what I wished could have been. Um, But overall, like, I enjoyed it. So that's where I'll stop for now. All right. Excellent. Bill Graham, what about yourself? Um, I was looking forward to this. Uh, I really liked the edge of 17. Um, and I was hoping that this would be, um, similarly like a, a surprise in that way. Um, I have no relation to any of the Judy Bloom novels. Uh, I know that she doesn't just focus on, uh, the female perspective or things like that. I know, um, you know, there's some other kind of wider ranging books and things like that in her uh, background. But yeah, I've never read any of these books and uh, went in kind of blind. Um, you know, Rachel McAdams and Kathy Bates are enough for me to just go. Yep. OK, I'll see that. <laughs> um and yeah, it, all the performances throughout this film are just fantastic. I, mm. from my understanding, it's it's the parents and especially the grandmother that kind of get a little bit more fleshed out um, in in the uh, film. And I think those performances and the things that are going on there, the the discussion of religion and discussion of you know parental kind of pressures and all of this stuff going on i found it really beautiful and moving um and yeah this is it's just a delightful film uh we don't you know i i know listening to some other podcasts on this uh you know a lot of other people are kind of remarking on this but we don't get a lot of these um where it's Mm -hmm. just really really just well made it's fairly simple it's fairly straightforward it's you know, not super complicated, although some of the themes it's dealing with are, um, and it's treated with respect, but at the same time, it's just, it's kind of right down the middle. It's, it's funny, but it's not overly. So it's not overly sappy. Um, it's, it's just a really feel good kind of, you know, discussion maker film. So I'm looking forward to discussing it more. All right. Robin Barr. Yeah, I want to actually echo what other people have said. I I really had a good time with this movie. Um, I loved Edge of Seventeen, so I was kind of fingers crossed that this would be as good an adaptation as the Babysitters Club, um, Rachel Schuchert show was, and I I was like very pleasantly surprised. Um, in in addition to kind of feeling the same way as you, Bill, about how much I enjoyed the fleshed out. Uh, adult characters that I don't know if we got as, as much of the same flavor in the book, but I I did enjoy that, you know, experience in the, in the movie. I also just really love the period details. I thought it, it really captured that the time period of the book in a way that felt really organic to me and not like, I don't know, Bridgerton or something, which like there are some fantasy elements to, to the period piece. Um, well, I mean, I guess there's a little bit of that here, but I just thought it was it was well done, and I enjoyed mm. it, and it wasn't overly stylized. It wasn't a Mrs. Maisel, you know. Um, yeah, I just I I enjoyed it. I think I had like visceral reactions to some things that we'll talk about, you know, as we get into spoilers. But I, you know, as a fan of the book, I I, I remember reading the book 
same age, like sixth grade, 11 years old. Um, love of Judy Bloom. I, I was probably more of a fudge girl. I love those mm. books quite a bit, but I, I remember really enjoying this one. And, you know, so many people talk about how much they relate to Margaret. And, and of course I have elements of that, you know, I grew up Jewish. And so it was a little bit harder for me to understand what it would be like to caught, be, be caught in between cultures or in between worlds. But I had a very, very close relationship with my grandmother uh, who lived in Florida. And so I, I immediately glommed onto that, um, you know, and just all the the politics of being a girl, which is very ingrained in the book and in the movie. And I remember thinking, this is so, I don't remember a lot of the details of the book, but I remember thinking like, God, Margaret's an idiot. Like she was praying <laughs> to get her period. And I just thought that was the stupidest thing in the world. Like, why do you want this thing to happen to you? Why? I was so afraid of the changes. I was, I had this anxiety about kind of moving on. I was really ensconced in my childhood and and I I knew this thing was happening. So I just kept thinking like, why, why the hell would she want her period? Why is this the climax? I don't think I use those words. That's interesting. I, I've never really asked this question before, but like Robin, clearly you were like not looking forward to puberty. Yes. Like, Bill, did you have any feelings about it? Because I feel like where I was, it was like, you want it to happen like now. Like, I, it needs to happen now. I don't want to be the last kid with his voice dropping and like getting the shitty facial hair. Like, I, I, I got hit first. I was the first guy. <gasps> it was sucked. I was, I remember, uh, I think it was seventh grade, like reading a book aloud in class and my voice just cracked. <gasps> in a while and like <laughs> everyone would laugh at me right but oh then God, like the, Brady the, Bunch <laughs> but so what's funny is I'm there and I'm like trying to respook and my voice is going and everyone's like ha 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 and then I turn around and I was like okay but in like four months when yours is doing it I'm gonna laugh at you in the deepest voice you've ever heard oh and my god bitch. so brave <laughs> I was fucking annoyed as well because I was I was like this is great it's happening I'm becoming a man and all these people are laughing and I'm like this is what you have to go through and you motherfuckers are gonna have to do it too so like I didn't understand why everyone thought it was funny I thought we all agreed we were in this together and then they did that, and I was like, you're going to Oh, break. you're sweet summertime. I was like, when you're in 10th grade and your voice finally starts cracking, I'm going to be in the back of the class going, ha, ha, ha. And like, everyone was like, oh, shit, right. Yeah, he's right. Um, yeah, so, but like, Bill, so like, were, like, were you afraid of it, or were you like, bring it on? Like, were you, were you so, praying so, for God to have your, your voice crack and stuff? So there's, there's a simple distinction to be made here Mm -hmm. and that is that guys don't have periods well yes i know but like Uh, robin tied it specifically to i'm clinging to childhood so i'm curious if that was you know i understand that but what i'm saying is that your your period cannot be taken out of the context of you know hitting puberty for for women because they are told and you know through through you know all the advertisements and all the information that they most likely get from their parents or from siblings or loved ones or friends or whatever that this is not fun that it is not uh enjoyable that you know they've probably seen their mom or loved ones go through you know mood swings and things like this and it's just like there's just a lot of 
baggage surrounding having your period. And so I don't think there can be a a legit comparison from a guy going through puberty versus a uh, a woman going through right. puberty. Right. Well, that's why I, I was that, asking the question because I was going to see if through our anecdotal evidence we could draw that distinction. But also, like I said, Robin tied it close to not wanting to lose her childhood, which like I was mm. eager to leave behind so in an existential I, way. Like, yeah, and I mean. I think I think a lot of guys are like, all right, cool. But also like there's there's certain other drawbacks and and things like that. But no, I was never like, oh, boy, I, you know, I am going to miss childhood. I think I think that's something that a lot of people like, because when you when you hit puberty, you don't have to go get a fucking job or anything like that. Like that's not, that's not what's happening here. So, you know, it's just like, you know, um, cool. I, I got some facial hair now. Like, oh. you know, I guess, I guess I gotta get a razor or something like that, you know? Um, and my high school actually, when I, the one that I went to, it's a private school. So we were allowed to have facial hair. So all of a sudden it was like, Oh, well, fuck yeah <laughs> so yeah I don't, I don't know like it wasn't it wasn't that big of a deal for me but yeah you didn't you didn't want to be the there, there are a lot of stigmas of like you know your voice cracking and like you know people are always talking about like you know how much armpit hair you have <laughs> just silly shit like that you know um but no, I I never had like an existential crisis of like my childhood is over. Lucky um, you! Yeah, so. <laughs> wow. Love one you. thing I love about, about period. Yourself? Well, I was gonna say one thing I love about period lore and advertising is that it actually is always advertised to you as um, this wonderful experience. I don't know if you guys have ever seen, you know, those like tampon or pad commercials but sure, the sure. people in them are always dancing there's always oh, free music tennis. they're yeah. playing tennis it's like it's if you awesome. just buy this little product you'll feel amazing very and different like, from wow. Leviticus all, all, you need is, all you need is this pad to catch the small amount of blue water yeah. that's gonna pour out of you and you're gonna be able to Naturally. do a perfect backhand and Rock well climbing. what <laughs> lies what lies I mean you know I think I had my relationship to puberty was indifference until I went to, I, I was, I grew up in the Bronx and I went to public school up until seventh grade. And then I, in seventh grade, I switched over to private school. Um, and I feel like I became hyper aware of my body when I made that switch because mm. um, we had like lockers and people were changing in them and I was like whoa I like this is I mean I think mostly it's interesting like because of the resources that we had I was more aware and the people around me seemed to really care they're like wearing training bras I mean I didn't want to get my period and then I did and I think that's the weird thing about puberty is that you don't want to be the first but you also don't want to be the last um yeah you don't want to be a Laura and- Denker <laughs> Right. It's, it's right. like it's like jumping off of a high dive. It's like, all right, I won't yeah. go first, but let me see what happens to you. And then let me see what happens excited. to everyone else. And then you know you don't want to be the last one because you're like, I don't want to be left behind. But I was, oh, you're just a late I was, bloomer. Yeah, no, I was literally about to say I was a bit of a late bloomer to quote all the adults in my life trying to comfort me. Um, oh. But I think that 
one thing that I like about the film is that there's, I mean, beyond getting your period, there's also just like the emotional roller coaster of puberty, which I think is captured really well, right? Like this, the highs and lows, the switches, the fact that at one moment you can be filled with excitement and thrill and anticipation. And then the next you're afraid for your life. You're like, you're afraid for your life. You're like, what is happening to me? Um, and it, it is an existential um, moment. So I don't know if that answers your question, but I just told you all a lot about myself. So I mean, well, I w- that you're a perfect podcast guest. <laughs> the most, you know, the more raw, the more personal, the more embarrassing, the better. Um, I will say um, my experience, not like I was 11. So I just, I was just about to turn 12. Um, and I went to the doctor for the, like, before you go into seventh grade, you have to get shots and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I remember the doctor saying in front of me and my father that I was about to get my period because there was like blood in my urine sample. And I probably could have just killed myself right there. <laughs> like both about to get the period and right in front of my fucking dad, which is, it was like, I did not have like a soft dad. I had like a regular, we don't talk about that shit, dad. And I just wanted to like, just even thinking about it, like, fuck. Um yeah, and in Jewish tradition, when you get your period, your mom is supposed to slap you across the face in a very wow. gentle way. <laughs> oh, okay. What? I didn't, I didn't know yes. that. It's supposed to like wake you up to life, like you're oh. you're, you're a woman. Oh, so now. it's it's like that scene in uh in the Kingdom of Heaven when he's like, you know, this is your lesson, and then he slaps him, and it's like, and that's so you don't forget. Yeah, something like that. I mean, it's not supposed to be abuse. It's it's supposed to be a tradition. I mean, whatever that means. Um, and well, yeah, like my mom would always talk about that. Yeah, yeah. So did your mother so, do that? Did she hit you? Uh, I, they, I was left alone in the house when I found out I was getting my period. So I just kind of waited until she came back. And I think then it was probably like a gentle, like, you know, probably more of a caress than a slap kind of thing. Yeah, I but, gotcha. Yeah. Eh, it's just interesting. Um, like this movie really took me back to that that visual memory of of those things. Um, but yeah, I mean it. Yeah. Anyway, Brian, you didn't see the movie. I didn't. I will say I have some <laughs> some uh, knowledge of Judy Bloom. Um, I I know that the Pain and the Great One was a, a constant rotation book in my family. Um, pretty sure I read Freckle Juice way back when. I have an older sister, so a lot of her books were Judy Bloom, and thus, as I started yeah. reading stuff, I would just steal shit from her. Mm. Um, so I was doing Judy Bloom, and then it was like, oh, I should read Goosebumps, and then it was like, oh, I hear you know, Born Peace is good, and then no, please, <laughs> of course you fucking did. Well, that was um. I. That was that was middle into high school, like is when I decided oh, wow. to read Born Peace. Um, oh yeah, he's obnoxious. In case I still have not I'm read the, Born Peace, I'm the goddamn worst. Uh, <laughs> and then I like I read I read War and Peace and I was like oh that was incredible I'm gonna read Anna Karenina and then I was like wow I want to kill myself I'm gonna read the Three Musketeers and then I was like this really goes on a bit doesn't it anyway yeah um, um wow I was like reading like the Princess Diaries <laughs> yeah <That was> good. <laughs> I read Tiger Eyes before I was supposed to which was uh, another Judy <laughs> book and that was oh, yeah, like. I was- I was I'm on me, her Wikipedia I, page because I was like, and then oh. I saw Tiger Eyes. I was like, oh, that's familiar. Yeah, I didn't that's read a really dark it. book. But there's like a scene about her masturbating, and I was like, oh my god, this is like porn. I was like 11. <laughs> 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 I was like, oh god. <laughs> yeah, it's really funny because when I 
read Lolita, I was 14. And I remember oh being like, this book is good. This is hot. <laughs> <laughs> I hope someone loves me like this one day. I don't know if what? I quite thought that, but I, I, I remember quite a bit about that book. And I remember my, my grandmother being like, I can't believe you're letting her read that. You know, because I was 14 and I like mm. it was like, Grandma, I saw the movie when I was 10. <laughs> Sorry. In like uh, in like elementary and middle school, I read a lot of like um, like sort of airport thriller, like pot boiler kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Did you read Alex Cross novels? I did not. No, I read oh. like the Jack Ryan ones from Tom Clancy. And mm-hmm. yeah. I read what, what else? Um, I think Eric L. Harry and um, fucking. This there was this guy who was like a scientist, but he would write like books about like string theory, but do it in kind of a thrillery way. One of Michael called, Crichton? Uh, no, okay, I read him. Yeah, that's actually I did describe him, but there was another guy. <laughs> he, one of his books was called Footprints of Thunder, and it like used string theory as an excuse to just randomly transplant parts of like the Cretaceous period in the modern day. Anyway, yeah, so I read all that stuff. But what's funny is you know, my parents are like, oh, it's a novel about dinosaurs coming. And then it's just like, you know, he knows his audience. So he's like, every once in a while, just like, yeah. And then they had sex and this is it for two pages. And I was just like, whoa, I shouldn't be reading this at all. <laughs> but I did. Um, so, yeah. But no, so I, I, you know, Freckle Juice, Super Fudge at the very least. Uh, the Pain and the Great One, I remember because I always believed that my sister was the Great One and I was the Pain. Like yeah, that's that probably thing. accurate. That's a good, yeah, that sounds right, doesn't it? Um. <laughs> So, yeah, didn't see the movie, but I I know some Judy Bloom. I I got I got my finger on the pulse. She's canon, and so you so it doesn't surprise me that you know her. Yeah, and that's why there's so much there was so much pressure I think with this film, yes. right? Because like the trailer is like half of it's just like it's finally goddamn happening. Yeah, we did it. Like, <laughs> we made a fucking movie. Here it is. We're pretty sure it's great. James L. Brooks helped out in some way. <laughs> Oh, I love that guy. Well, he he he's like he's stopped making movies, but he's become like a producer that helps. Like he helped with the Edge of Seventeen. Like so, like a script doctor kind of person. But I don't know. Like what? Well, yeah, I, I'll take your word for it. I don't know that, and I'm not. Saying no, that. no, I'm just, just in curious. case our ombudsman gets on us. Um, no, I mean like he's a producer. <laughs> apparently, sure he's a little hands on. Mm. Yes, and apparently he's the reason that uh, I don't know if y'all noticed this, but uh, Hans Zimmer did the score. I did notice that. Oh my god, is he really? Yeah. So, so that's part of the reason is I guess (laughs) he's worked with Brooks before, and so Brooks, you know, presented the idea to him, and then was just like, yeah. I'd love to. And like, it, it was funny because I was listening to an interview with uh, the director, um, I guess, writer director. Let me see here. Yeah. Writer director, Kelly Freeman Krieg. And she was talking about how she was just stunned that he was at all interested in this and yeah. that it ended up being very collaborative and that it was just a delight working with him. So with Hans Zimmer. Yeah. Oh, that's, I mean, he doesn't, he doesn't seem like he mails it in a lot. I mean, <laughs> no, but this is not a typical Hans Zimmer movie, right? I, I guess so. I mean, yeah, I guess so. But I mean, like, the man is great at emotions and, like, this, mm. you know. And it's a very emotional film. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I feel like if, if, as, you know, if he's not, if he's not just like, oh, I'm a dude, whatever, I'm going to do this. Like, if he's like, oh, I've tapped into the emotions of this story as I have with every other film I've scored and I have ideas. So that's mm-hmm. good. But I, I'm glad to hear that. <clears throat> 
As a person who likes Hans Zimmer, it's good to hear about that. I don't know if anybody has seen the Judy Bloom documentary that also just came out on Amazon. Oh, the um, other thing I have, I yeah. <laughs> well, I, I was like, if you can't make it to the movie theater, maybe you should watch. Anyway, fuck off. Um, so <laughs> I have seen it, Robin. I would love to hear your thoughts. It was interesting because it's very hagiographic. Um, yeah. And so I had feelings about that. But one thing that I thought was, well, two things I liked about it. One, the documentary focuses on fans that she had correspondences with so people mm-hmm. like not really famous people like just girls growing up who kind of used her as a diary that spoke back um so she you know actually like engaged with them and it was like the, these real relationships or these real pen pal ships um and it didn't just focus on like celebs who liked her you know because there was a lot of documentaries that are like that um and one one thing i remember from it is that somebody was like judy bloom is not timeless she's timely and i thought that was such a great quote because i think it really captured what is so interesting about this movie is they could have translated it to 2022 or 2023 they could have made mm-hmm. it any time period because you know theoretically uh these films are translatable but at the same time it the book is so specific because it's what came out in like the early seventies or late sixties. I can't remember the exact um, publication date, but it doesn't have cell phones. There's no internet. The, the, the things that the girls are experiencing, like their core concerns of somebody growing up in like, you know, mid century United States. And the story is about a girl who uh, her parent, one, one parent is Jewish, one parent is uh, Christian and she grows up in Brooklyn. And then her parents decide to move her to New Jersey. And so it's, she's, you know, the new girl and making new friends and the new friends are kind of like me and girls a little bit. And just kind of navigating that while also trying to be, uh, you know, not the biggest loser in the class. And <laughs> there's, there's a lot of um, really, I think, you know, quote unquote universal, like elements that are relatable to people across swaths of American society. Uh, but I wouldn't call it timeless because of those reasons. Like I, I, I would say these are the very specific concerns of a white uh, white slash potentially Jewish girl growing up in the tri-state area. Like it obviously that was something relatable to me as somebody who grew up on Long Island, but I don't know if it was, I don't know if it's a universal story. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I agree with that. I think the person who said that, I wonder if it was Jason Reynolds in the in the documentary. It was a the, man. The, yeah, I, I think it was the children's book author, Jason Reynolds, who also love his work. Um, but I, I do think that the beauty of of Bloom, and I think what the film gets right is, I agree with you, Robin, and is keeping it aligned with its like origins in some way and that could such a double-edged sword because it's like it could be it could have ended up a disaster either way um but it didn't and and i and i don't know i mean i think the related the there are touches that um craig does throughout the film to sort of like universalize it i don't know if you noticed that also are we are in the part where i can start talking about yeah, yeah. Okay. jump into spoilers. Okay. We're yeah. here. Okay. Okay. Sorry. I, I you know, want to be respectful. years old. I mean, like, I understand, but also, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. There are touches, right? Like where I think in the film, especially like with um, Margaret's friends, where we see different. Um, I think Janie. I I don't think that's the right name. The black the black character. She was Janie. Yeah. Janie. Yes. 
um, where we see like sort of glimmers, glimpses of her life. And I think that was a very, I really appreciated the, that subtle, that subtle way of bringing the story together. Cause I mean, again, it's like 1970s America. It's like so the like, mom doing her but, hair. Yeah, exactly. With a hot comb. Yeah. And, then, and then, you know, Margaret going to this Baptist church with her. And so there are ways that, that I think um, Kelly Freeman Craig like adds these touches that sort of connect Margaret's experience to others. But I, I like that it wasn't this ham-fisted the way Margaret feels is the way that every child in yeah. America at this time felt because um, that would have been disingenuous. And I think Judy Bloom herself in the documentary said that she wrote these books because when she was a kid, she felt like adults were keeping things from her specifically. And so in, in many ways, I think of her books as often things that she as a younger person could not find for herself. And so she's writing to a younger version of herself and has happened to amass millions of fans along the way. Yeah. It's like, I, I the best advice that I get about writing is write for you, write what mm-hmm. you would like to read. Um, Cause you never know who you're going to please. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, yeah, no specificity I, <laughs> in writing is, I mean, like one of the, one of the worst things you could do is try to like write, to a generation or like to a mm-hmm. group like yeah. you know, you've got to you got to make a, a human you got to like, Yeah, like really... Lena Dunham. <laughs> yeah, no seriously. And I think that that's what this film, I mean, I'm curious if you guys would think this, but I think that Kelly Freeman Craig's film is almost the version of Margaret that she wanted to see because I think the tough thing about adapting sort of a conical text is that it's it's um like Judy Bloom and her books are objects of projection, right? Like even in the documentary, it's like all these people became all her fans. So I love the way that you described it, Robin, as using her as a diary. Um, and so Margaret is a text in which people map themselves onto. And so I think the pressure of creating an adaptation is that you're not going to get every single person's vision and you're not going to yeah. be able to include it. And so in some ways, the more I think about the film, the more I'm just like Kelly Freeman Craig just gave us her version of Margaret. And it worked because there are parts that you could pick for yourself and there are parts you could leave. Yeah. And, but, you know, I think that's true of any adaptation as well, because I, I, not to harken back, but no, I've been yeah. thinking a lot about the Babysitter's Club adaptation mm. and, and how I think it was very well done. Um, and it it was, and that's book, I'm sorry, book series that is set in very clearly in like the late 80s, early 90s, and they did update it. And mm-hmm. I thought that was really well done, but it, but there was a personal specificity to it. Like I, I enjoyed the ways that that series updated its characters, you know, mm-hmm. so it's like, made it more racially diverse made it more mm-hmm. um in line with kids experiences of technology like it did all of that kind of thing and it was well done and so i appreciated that that was that was a vision that they could fulfill and i agree with you that this is very much uh freeman craig's vision of what she could fulfill they could have there could have been ten thousand choices that went totally. into this and they whatever they did, they made it work, you know, which Rachel McAdams character who she plays um, Margaret's mother. So basically, you know, Margaret moves and moves to New Jersey and her mom is kind of going through this very subtly like women's lib experience where she went from being a 
uh, a worker, you know, an art teacher to a stay at home mom and her complicated feelings about that, but it's never overstated. It's also, it's really done well in like through dialogue and through, through visual choices without her explicitly saying out loud, I don't know how to live my life as somebody who, you know, who has a shifted identity. Um, so mm-hmm. she has this crisis of like picking a couch because she doesn't know what is appropriate in the new social context um, and and the new, you know, world that she's living in and moving into the seventies. And, um, and then she has this sort of foil relationship with Margaret's grandmother played by Kathy Bates, who I would have never expected to do a glam Jewish mother. And yet she does it. <laughs> incredibly well like, she really she is a great character i love sylvia and that you know that that woman lives you know probably in the upper upper east side or upper west side mm-hmm. and is a, a cosmopolitan sequined like not overbearing but certainly assertive mother-in-law mm-hmm. and grandmother who has a lot of influence over margaret's life and so it's really funny to see this like hippie versus glammy kind of dynamic that they do. Um, and I, and I love the way that it's fleshed out throughout the series. So it, it, and that to me, as as you're kind of alluding to is like, that is Freeman Craig's vision for this adaptation. Like it's a very specific, uh, imagining of, of the Margaret story. Yeah. And I really liked that she added that touch because I know there are some, rumblings um or other critics who didn't who were like you know the adults are more interesting than margaret or like thought that the film could have had more Jesus. edge but I, I, <laughs> I think that what i really like which is you know oh but I, i'm sorry I, did you did you not connect with the 12 year old versus the adults like what the fuck I mean, are we talking to, about like jesus i think yeah. that what i liked is that it, it it kind of adds, and this is sort of to the universalization, it's not a word, of the film, mm-hmm. which is that the pu- puberty is this very specific set of experiences that happens um, to you when you're a kid and you're transitioning into adulthood, but that, like, you are always actually in this constant changing state and your life, like, mm-hmm. is a little bit always in flux. And I really liked sort of seeing the generation like the three generations of women, you know, through Rachel McAdams' character, Kathy Bates' character, um, and and Margaret, of course, of how, like, they're all kind of having these, um, it's not a shared experience in the most, like, direct sense, but they're all going through changes and transitions and they're having a hard yeah. time adjusting. Yeah, and it usually, you, uh, yeah, you're you're absolutely right. A lot of these films usually portray that the parents are like skating through life and they're fine, and you know it's the kids that go through this enormous upheaval and mm-hmm. change, and you know they they're you know not getting it, and it it is sad when you know the grandma is like. Oh, I'll never see you again. And it's like, mm-hmm. what the fuck, you know? And, and and his his <laughs> her son is just like, what the fuck, mom? Like, why are you being so dramatic? <laughs> no, like, it is. But like, when, okay, so Margaret moves to New Jersey. She sees her grandmother like every couple weeks. You know, she goes to takes the bus to New York. But then grandma starts spending a lot of time in Florida, and like, there it's even more of a divide. And so at the end of the movie. Or like toward the end of the movie, um, 
Margaret's supposed to go visit her grandma in Florida. And it's like the one thing that she can't mm-hmm. wait to do. Like she's going through a lot of strife in her friend groups and everybody's being a bit whole. And she just <laughs> wants to see her grandma. And then her parents, her uh, mother's parents who literally disowned their daughter because she married a Jew decide to visit. And her parents are like, Oh, sorry, your horrid grandparents who are literally <laughs> evil and anti-Semitic are visiting. So you have to give up your visit to Florida. It, that I felt so viscerally, like how mm. fucking dare they? Like, mm. I don't even remember this in the book. I was just like, Oh my, I'm going to, I, I think, I I think it's, I like it. I like how it's fleshed out in the film because it is like on a whim. Rachel McAdams is like, yeah, I probably because she she just had this conversation with her daughter about why they don't see her grandparents, which is a weird thing that finally like this 11 year old is like, I have grandparents. Why don't I ever see them? You know, like someone else had to bring that up to her. Um and, you know, maybe she's brought it up before and gotten the stiff arm from Rachel McAdams. But, you know, this time around, she finally gets in and, it, you know, she talks about how they had a falling out. So they just don't see their her grandparents anymore. And mm-hmm. after that, she's doing all these New Year's Eve cards or New Year's cards or whatever it is, because, you know, clearly they don't celebrate Christmas or, you know, uh, Hanukkah or anything like that. So they're <laughs> My just husband giving, and I do <laughs> New Year's cards. <laughs> there you go. And so, you know, it's you one of those New things Year's where cards. Yeah. yeah, we send out Happy New Year cards instead of like Happy whatever. Oh, I thought you meant for each mm-hmm. other. I was like, that's the most depressing thing. Oh, no, yeah. that is absolutely <laughs> depressing. Uh, yeah, no. Of course, yeah. I'm Jewish. My husband is not, but we I, don't I, celebrate. Robin, I, I did really like yours, by the way. Uh, oh, I like <laughs> that it was like a recap of the year. That was delightful. Oh, Bill, um, do you not have people that do that? I feel like Christmas cards, like I get so many fucking Christmas cards that are like, Hey, this is what we've been up to. Jeremy is so great and cares. <laughs> it's just like, okay, I mean, I get Chris. I follow you on Instagram. I know all this. Like, I get Christmas cards, me, but yeah. Unless you're going to give me like a warts and all tabloid style description. Like if you're just going to do an Instagram post, but over 500 words, I'm not. I don't do that. I know, but I have so many people in my life who do. So. I yeah, just but found it's it like I just that Bill was like, "Oh, it's cool. It's like a little run." Like, does anyone else do this? It's like, yeah, everyone, and they're all terrible except for Robbins. <laughs> it was great. I like. <laughs> it's hard to write a New Year's card that is warts and all because at some point you're just like, I could tell you all about my depression, like my depression, but maybe I just don't feel like getting into that. So Dude, it would be. I, that's what I'm going to do this year. I'm just going to. I'm fine with that. I will take it in. I'm just saying, like, you're going to send a manuscript. Very, yeah, yeah, very his intense. manifesto. It's like, well, another year Anyways. down, <laughs> one step closer it, to the grave. Thank God. Anyways, oh, God. so she finally tells her her daughter, and then after that, she's sending out New Year's cards, and she on a whim for bringing on it up. a whim she just mm-hmm. decides let me just send this over to my parents she's like crossing out the names of like all her contacts right and then she gets to her parents and she's like hmm let me just reach out to them and like mm. you know they reach out to her and are like oh my god you know we've we've been 
praying about this. Like this is this, or I think they said this card was an answer to our prayers. We're going to be in the area during this time. We would love to see you and, you know, meet Margaret Ann, which I find hilarious that they keep calling her Margaret Ann. And it's like, who the fuck calls her Margaret Ann? Nobody calls her that. Yeah, <laughs> but, but they only ever got a baby announcement. I'm sure. Like, I know, but like, her. just, just fucking call her her first name like that's weird i don't know anyways i know i know but uh so you know they they show up kind of or not unexpectedly but they kind of announce that hey we're going to be visiting during this time and you know this is one of those things where it's like in normal adulthood coincidences like this just happen and you're just like ah okay, I'll rearrange this and I'll rearrange that and everything will be fine. But for a child, it's like earth shattering. It's devastating. Yeah. I felt that deeply at age 34. I was just like, how dare they cancel a trip? That was horrible. But I, I think, I think Rachel McAdams, like I feel for, for her so much because even, even the husband is like, really you want to do this like you right. want you you reached out to them without consulting me a but also like you actually want to potentially draw this back in to our lives and i i thought you know that's one of the unfortunate things where it's like girl call them like have a conversation with them before they fucking show up, like fly all that way and show up and then potentially ruin, you know, your lives or whatever. Like, sounding no, a lot no. like the visit. Like, did they end up being crazy and possibly uh, aliens? Uh, yeah. Not aliens, but they were like, Margaret, you should get baptized or something. Yeah. They're like, they they were nice at first. They were nice at first, but yeah, the dad definitely oh, broaches the, the subject. Get you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yep. So yeah, it it turns into a shit show. But yeah, it it was uh, like I just really felt for McAdams' character because the potential of like getting back with her parents is there, right? Mm-hmm. Like like maybe this is an amicable thing. Like maybe this this resolves itself. Maybe you actually have like grown up conversations of you know about religion and like hey this is our choice this is something that we're deciding for margaret and like also i married a jew like y'all gotta fucking get over it yeah but there is something really 70s about their choice which is like we can't we're just gonna let her decide and Mm -hmm. just kind of push her out off to the abyss like like oh when you're an adult you'll you'll have direction or when or I don't know. It's just like, that's how people join cults. Oh like, yeah. No, 100%. I, that's like, that's like, people are like, Oh, like you're indoctrinating your child by bringing them to church. It's like, what do you fucking want me to do? Leave her at home alone. And then like hope for the best when she's older. Like, yeah, that's how people join cults. That's literally why the sixties and seventies and into the eighties were just a fucking mess of cults. It's insane. <laughs> like, it's not a good thing to do. And having that like yeah. foundation to build on is pretty good. I think this is like especially relevant for me because I uh, I grew up Jewish, but I'm fairly secular. Um, you know, we're not I'm not religious in any way. You know, I have a, I have a cultural experience or connection to Judaism, but I don't practice in any particular way. But there is no question that any children that my husband and I have will will be Jewish. This is something that we've talked about, and he's kind of he's as um, 
agnostic about religion, you know, well, maybe that's not the right word, but he's as ambivalent about religion as I am. Um, mm. But I think like there, it's just never been a question to me that our children would be raised Jewish. And I kind of, we were talking about this Friday. Cause I'm like, if we have a kid, it's like suddenly we will be sucked into not sucked in, but we may choose to join Jewish community life after we have a child. And, and what would that mean for us as people who just don't have a place for this in our lives right now? Like, is it, is it purely for community reasons? Will, will we find a spiritual center in any way? Cause I feel like I'm a zero spiritual person. Like, I, like I'm missing a chip. Um, but would that change with a kid? Like, I don't know. You didn't um, put any points mm. into spirituality when you were building your character build. It, oh, a hundred percent. It's like, didn't need it. Filled it up with Instagram instead. I'm totally. I, um, I mean, like I, I went to church with my family all through my childhood. I went to college. I kept it up for most of freshman year, but like fell off eventually. And it's only in the last couple of years that I've really like gone back. Mm-hmm. And it coincided with a general sensation that I had to get my goddamn life together. <laughs> so mm. my, um, my like eating better, my exercising, my like scheduling my time more rigorously coincided with my uh-huh. return to uh-huh. church. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Bill, what were you hawing about? <laughs> uh, scheduling your time more rigorously? Yeah. How uh-huh. do you think I uh-huh. packed in so much shit this weekend? He does a lot. Yeah. Really yeah. But also you're on a podcast where you didn't make time for it. So Look, it's the just podcast like... <laughs> is, to be quite blunt, a low priority thing for me. Like, <gasps> I, don't, I don't know what to tell you guys. Like... Scandal. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... <laughs> There's a lot of dramatic things happening right now. See, this is why you still need me even on episodes where I didn't see the movie. I um, love having you on episodes when you didn't see the movie. Maybe I, I just... should just never see another movie again and only be on <laughs> Yeah, you wanted to pivot to Peter Pan and Wendy, Lord Almighty. I liked that movie. That was a good movie. I was oh, able sure to watch was. that one because they sent me a screener so I could watch it at any point. And I watched it with my daughter. So it was like. That's why I said we should do the Judy Bloom doc. Wait, this what did your daughter think of Peter Pan? Sorry. Oh, that's she really not liked part, it. No, this scope. is important. This is important. Okay. Because no, she... I, I thought, I was like worried. I liked it, but I was like, is this more for adults than it is for kids? Or no, am I just she... reading these lessons into it? No, she really enjoyed I mean, like, I definitely was getting all the, the adult stuff. But at the end, she was like. I don't know. Spoilers for Peter Pan and Wendy. Does anyone care? No, go for it. Okay, we will. Bill, I mean, care? I read we the all book. Know what happened. <laughs> no, I don't care. Okay. So at the end, like the lost boys go and live with Wendy. Um, but then uh, Peter Pan goes back to Never Neverland or Neverland. I don't know why I always think it's Never Neverland. Anyway, he goes back to Neverland and, because he's left uh, Hook behind there and Hook and him were friends mm-hmm. when Hook was younger. And the the final image of the movie is Peter Pan returning to Neverland and Hook seeing him and them both kind of smiling at each other because they realized that like their whole little dance was like their way of keeping up their like friendship and this like new dynamic they had. And my daughter very like pointedly said he went back because they're friends still. And I was like, yeah, they are. Oh, it was really cute. wow. Uh Bring your daughter on as a guest. <laughs> I've been begging yes. him for years. I mean, that's just an incredible analysis. Maybe, maybe if we'd done Peter Pan <laughs> and Wendy. But she also just like, she had a lot of fun with it. She was upset at the point where it looked like Peter Pan had died. She really liked Tiger Lily a lot, which I 100% agree with. Um, yeah, that was awesome. Yeah, was I mean, though, I think like, that... I th- there, Go ahead. Uh, there's just, there's, there's a lot of 
conversation about uh, like changing the appearance of Disney characters. I'm just going to like say that. And so like, mm. I'm always curious because it's always conversation that's happening with older people, like, you know, mm. who are like on and shouldn't give a shit. And so I was legitimately curious. What's my daughter going to say when Tinkerbell comes? And she didn't really say anything. She was like, that's Tinkerbell. And I said, yeah. And she's like, her hair's not blonde. I was like, no. And she's like, huh. <laughs> yeah. yeah I kids mean, don't give a fuck. Right. They like, don't. They, yeah. They're just they're like, this, like, they're just, they're, they're not the reality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're not beholden to this shit. And it, it is so funny because it's the adults that are so beholden to, to all this bullshit. And it's just like, it's so what's, stupid. What's it, it just really though. is. Yeah. And yeah what's gonna, yeah. Well, what's interesting is I, like she watches, like there's a, there's a Tinkerbell movie and like possibly a TV show. I don't know. It's hard to tell yes. those things. Um, yes. And so there's like a whole yes bunch of both different of those. ones. There's like, a, <laughs> there's like, they all have different names. I don't know. Silverwing. That might be one of them, but they're like, I've realized that my daughter only sees like hair color and possibly mm-hmm. eye color. And so she was like, Oh, she has dark hair in this movie. It's like, yeah, she does. And then she immediately asked the question, how do they understand what she's saying when she's ringing? And I was like, how is this not a problem that you've ever had with the first movie? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I also wondered that. I was like, will they explain this? But they did. They kind of did. They were like, yeah. Actually, yeah, that moment moment at the end, I like actually gave me a little thrill when she finally hears Tinkerbell's voice and realizes that like you can hear it if you like are close enough with her and believe her. Yeah, you know who can't hear it? Adults who are upset about remakes. Tinkerbell imaginations are atrophied. Tinkerbell is in fact a little bit like the the sleigh bell in um Polar Express. You can only hear her Mm. if you believe. Yeah. Well, sorry to pivot to David Lowry, who I do like as a director, but I I was curious about how what your daughter what your daughter felt because there are no kids in my life right now. But if any of my friends wanted to have kids. I'm happy to babysit. <laughs> Especially um, bring them over to my place. Yeah. You know, it's always movies. fun when I have the the ability to like see a movie with my daughter. Especially kids movies. Because I love quote unquote kids movies. Like, you know. So it really shocked me when she loved Soul. <laughs> I was like, are you sure? <laughs> She's like, can we watch it again? I was like, are you positive? Like, what are you doing out of this? Like you're not you you haven't lived a life that you're not sure was really worth it yet. Like yeah, seriously. <laughs> I know, but then there's like cats body switching. Like they really true. there's there's fun stuff yeah, in it, but I also yeah. like like the that drama of it. Yeah, I, I think I think that drama is nice to be kind of exposed to from an early age because like like I've said multiple times when I was younger. And not even like that much younger than I am now, like in my, you know, teens, like I just thought, oh, when you're an adult, you just know what you're doing. And it wasn't until I became older that I was like, oh, nobody knows what the fuck they're doing. Like everybody's mm. just kind of like bouncing around and just kind of like, I hope this fucking works. And it's just like, Oh shit. Is this life? This is, this is adulthood where there are no like fail safes. There are no boundaries. And it's just like fucking go for it. 
or don't. <laughs> and you're just like, oh shit, wait, I have to actually like make this effort and like decide what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. And like all this other shit that you're just like, oh, well, I thought, I thought there was just going to be a time where you just have shit figured out. And instead it's just like, oh, everybody's just kind of fucking running around and just doing what they can the best they can. But why and- do you think people freak out about having kids? Like there's something about something interesting about our generation that parenting is coming as like a shock to people in in a way that what, I, what I did not previously experience. Like, I think, I don't know, maybe it's something about like the proliferation of our culture around memes or whatever. I don't know, TikTok. Like, I kind of wonder what Gen X would have done about this kind of thing. But I feel like parenting and and quote unquote adulting and all of that stuff, like, really is shocking to millennials to some degree. Like, the amount of work goes, goes into it. And I think that's because kind of what you're describing, Bill, was that we just assumed that our parents knew what they were doing, that, mm. that there was always going to be an adult in the room. Um, that mm. wasn't going to be us. Like, I yeah. still think that there's some element of, I don't know, because they've talked, they, uh, you know, cultural writers or whatever talk a lot about how people in our generation, because we grew up with a certain amount of helicoptering, maybe not everyone, Brian, uh-huh. but I, you knew some that of us, I was like in the background, like a cat. <laughs> but some of us did grow up, grow up with, with a certain amount of sheltered, you know, experience of, of, parenting or just being a kid and so then suddenly when we do have to go through these adult things like then suddenly it's all memes and everything and and i don't know if that's something specific to being a millennial or something specific to becoming an adult just as the internet age has really you know exploded and expanded when when i go to the beach with my parents i'll get them drunk and ask them if they ever felt like they weren't actually adults when they were suddenly adults I feel like we've, I think, I've, I, we've we've talked a lot, my parents and I, about stuff. But I do feel like I haven't yet plumbed the the question of like, did you two not realize you were an adult until it already happened? Like, mm-hmm. yeah, until I, it was too late. Right. I was the adult among my group of friends, but there's a massive difference between you know helping someone who's got alcohol poisoning or possible heroin overdose or like you know all this other stuff and then being like oh i have to raise a child i have to change diapers and make food and also somehow go grocery shopping with an infant how do you do that like this doesn't make any sense yeah how do you do that i need like notes uh, <laughs> you a baby bjorn you got to plow through <laughs> it um you're going to be very nervous and you're going to think everyone's judging you and you just can't give a fuck Mm. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a lot of like child rearing just in general is like, everybody's got an opinion and yeah, you'll just never leave the house if you actually give a shit what people say. I would say that like the vast majority of people don't have an opinion, which is the thing that you kind of have to learn is that like, oh, most people look at you and like, oh, there's a person like it's, it's like going to a middle school dance and you're like, is this this shirt dumb? But like everyone else is wondering if their shirt's dumb. They're worried about themselves. They're not worried about you. Yeah. It's the same thing with like almost any kind of anxiety, you know, about that kind of stuff. People do this a lot with like at the gym where it's like, oh, I'm afraid like people are going to be no fucking people are just there to watch TV and walk on the treadmill. Like nobody Mm. gives a shit what you're doing it to the point where people get hurt because 
other people don't give a shit what you're doing inside the weight room and stuff like that, where they're just like, I don't know, I'm going to do this thing. I think I saw it one time and you do it really wrong and then you hurt yourself and it's just like, oh, okay, well, that was bad. And, you know, there's, there's a certain amount of, you know, anxiety around that kind of stuff, all, all sorts of different stuff. Um, but, you know, I think one thing that's, that's interesting about a lot of this is my generation in particular is, I know my parents have a lot of siblings and I know less and less people that have a lot of siblings that are my age. A lot of them either have siblings that are, you know, maybe five, 10 years older than them, but not a lot of siblings that are kind of the similar age. And I feel like helicopter parenting is only a thing when you have like one fucking child, right? Like you can focus in on them and you Mm -hmm. overthink things and you're like, holy shit. And if you have you know, four or five kids at different stages in their life, at a certain point, you're just like, ah, fucking, hey, watch your sister. I'll be back, mm-hmm. you know? So my parents, my mother, my like, because my when when my wife and I were still together, she asked my mother, like, you know, how did you, how did you do it? Like, there's, there's so much conflicting information. Like, what, like, how do you know what to do? And my mother said, during the first baby, they said coffee was fine. During the second baby, they said coffee wasn't fine. Third baby, mm-hmm. I just had coffee if I wanted fucking coffee. Like, <laughs> you know, it's just like you kind of give up at a certain point. And like, you know, there's the joke about like, you know, oh, your your first child drops their pacifier on the floor. You pick it up. You If you don't burn it immediately, you clean it with soap and then like rubbing alcohol and then soap again. And then you like wait three days before giving it to them. The second one, you pick it up and rub it on your shirt. And then everyone after that, you pick it up and just throw it at them. Yep. <laughs> it's just, you, you know, put it right you, back in. You learn after that first baby, like, oh, these things are super resilient. Like, it's actually very yeah. difficult to take one of them out. Um, <laughs> I, I, yeah. If you're my, lucky. Yeah. Yeah. My daughter has a certain amount of latitude because it's just like, you know, there's only one of me. I can't watch you all the time. I have to just trust that you're not going to do something stupid when I leave the room. Yeah, and I mean that's that's it's it's the same thing with like with like having a dog or a cat or uh, I mean really a a (laughs) dog because cats are are usually pretty fucking self reliant and that's like you know the joke is I can leave a cat alone for seven days and as long as it's got food water and access to the outside it'll be fine Um, whereas like a dog will just like go bananas and it's the same thing with like a with a dog it's like when when am I okay with leaving them inside the house un unsupervised and you're just like i don't fucking know because i can't have a conversation with them like i don't i don't know what level they're gonna freak out i don't know and at a certain point like you know i had this conversation with erica i was just like we just gotta do it and just see what happens and if shit isn't broken then we're good and we keep going until something breaks and then we're like okay let's maybe not keep that thing out anymore or let's mm. figure out, you know, what is the root cause? But at a certain point, it's just like, you just gotta fucking, you know, let them take the training wheels off and just let them, let them ride and see, see what happens. And it is scary. Um, Didn't you your know, dog just have like 
<laughs> medical emergency. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Uh my lab, my two-year-old lab decided to uh eat. She loves eating grass. And this is like a, a bigger dog thing as well. They usually will like chew grass when they uh their stomach is upset or whatever. And I guess our the guy that does our lawn, sometimes it kind of ends up in these big old clump balls of grass um here and there. And you know, I guess she got a hold of one of those clump balls because she loves eating grass so much. And then that kind of made her sick. And so she just kind of kept eating more grass, thinking that that would make and to the point where it was then a one pound ball of oh grass God. inside her stomach. Oh my so we had to pay $2,000 to basically cut her open, get out this two. We thought it was like a laundry uh, sheet or something like that. No, it's a fucking one pound ball of grass. Wait, and now $2,000. Oh, I heard two. No, 2000 <laughs> sounds about right. Yeah, two thousand dollars. I was about to say I uh, need to go to your vet. That's <laughs> yeah, no, not two hundred dollars. I had a dog no. that had a hematoma <laughs> on its ear, and it was fucking ridiculous to get that off. I was like, "Is this so?" So can I just leave now? It now we're at a point where we're like, okay, and I've been trying to talk Erica into this for a while, but now we're at a point where maybe the backyard because we're redoing our backyard because it has a bunch of grading and drainage issues uh, and it gets muddy all the time and they're always tracking in mud and it drives my wife crazy. I don't care that much. And so she's just like, this is driving me crazy. And I'm like, well, then come up with, you know, go get a landscaper and, and fix it. Cause that's, you know, it's driving you crazy. It's not necessarily driving me crazy. And I got other shit I need to handle. And so I told her, and so maybe we're going to get AstroTurf in the rear because then she won't fucking eat grass and make herself sick and then cost us $2,000. I mean, we're we're happy that she's fine, but we're also like, holy shit, you're a dumbass. And you're too. Like, like. When when does this end? No, you know, <laughs> I think it's this conversation is such a good reminder of how how all of these themes are actually really well woven into the Are You Gare God? It's Me, Margaret. Because it, dear Robin, it's not, thank you for getting us back onto the movie. No, no, I mean I think it's actually true. Like that we we have this jumping off point because so much of Margaret is not just in the changes of puberty, but but you know what it means to be a woman or whatever going through, you know, certain life changes. And and Freeman Craig really integrates that, those questions in such a subtle yet defining way in the story, you know, where, where the mom is like, takes on more and more of these unpaid labor, volunteer, voluntold, you know, <laughs> things of, of, of being a PTA mom. And then suddenly oh she's God, like, I don't fucking want to do it anymore. <laughs> I do so much stuff at that school. It's a uh, out of it's like bananas. Yeah, I think well, you really need to see this, Brian. You're really representing. Yeah, this this I know, is I know. The, the, the begrudged PTA parent is is represent well represented in this film. Yeah, I think but, also like oh, go ahead. Well, I yeah, like last week, I almost wasn't able to see the the movie that we were watching last week because like I had I had helped to set up a mini spirits festival at my daughter's school that like absorbed oh my, my life, like a healthy portion of my life for like three months. And uh, yeah, it was nuts. And, uh, you know, but it was you nice. would appreciate mm-hmm. the, I, I, the, the things like that, that Barbara has to do. 
for yeah, the PTA. His character. But it was nice though, because when it was happening, like to see it all come together, it's the same thing when I do stuff at the distillery. I mean, like to see it all come together, like this is awesome. Everyone's having fun. I did this. It's worth it. And like, you know, everyone was coming up and be like, oh my God, this is so great. And I was like, oh, thank you. But yeah, it's just like, like so disgustingly productive. Yeah, but like one of these days I'm going to die of like a massive coronary failure that probably could have been diagnosed if I'd ever like taken 15 minutes to rest. So just, you know, yeah. good point. you'll outlive me. Then so. I do appreciate that I took a nap today. Yeah. Thank yeah. you, nap. <laughs> Self-care yeah. is real care. Um, you sound like another podcast host I know that like hasn't gone to a dentist in quite a long time and also thinks that she needs or (laughs) she needs she needs glasses she knows she needs glasses but she doesn't have time to go to the eye doctor even though i know she makes a lot of money and i'm just like oh my god so i 100 have not been to the dentist in forever and i need to go oh my god so stressful to blame the dentist because i've sent like emails being like Hey, because I, I need a new dentist. My other dentist is not. Call them. Why are you sending fucking emails? Because yeah. they ask you to send emails. They're like, oh please do this online. That. Yeah, no. No, so definitely call. call. Yeah. Call. All right. Well, I'll do that this I week. love to be on the phone with my providers just so they know I'm a real person. Oh, yeah, I'm with you. <laughs> anyway, there was talk- a moment. In- oh, go, go ahead, ahead, Livia. Go well, ahead. Yes. Well- li- yeah, Livia, go on. No, I was just going to say there, just to your point, Robin, about how all these themes are really interwoven, like the stresses of getting older, the existential crisis of like adulthood, the sort of realizing that, you know, you're always somehow going to be figuring out, you're always going to sort of be figuring out what your life looks like are Mm -hmm. really well represented in the film. And like one of my favorite scenes is when basically Margaret has a crisis of faith and she's like, wait a minute, this isn't. Like, you know, so in the film, she is, and this is different in the, um, I think it's different in the book, but in the film, she decides to, yeah, embark on this journey to, like, she starts speaking to God because she's moving to New Jersey and she doesn't want to move to New Jersey. And honestly, so relatable. You're like, some higher power stop this, like, life-changing event from happening. And then she starts to use God as a sort of diary. And then um, her teacher sixth grade teacher i think played by echo callum um is um, he's really good yeah he he tells her like maybe you should make your research project about religion and so she sort of embarks on this journey to figure out what she believes while still you know having these dire these prayer sessions with god and and that's where some of my favorite scenes come from where she goes to synagogue with her grandmother played by kathy bates and and her grandmother's like have you guys met my granddaughter have you met my granddaughter this is my granddaughter <laughs> she's so she is proud here right now she's like my granddaughter is here have you met her um and then she goes to the baptist church goes to um a, a more evangelical church um and then also goes to a pseudo confession or tries to uh, but there's that moment where she's in the bathroom i don't know if you guys remember and she after she's turning her project and she sort of realizes that um I don't know. I think there's just like a level of like existential angst that I really felt in that mm. scene where she's just sort of like, maybe there is no one out there and maybe I do have to do this all on my own. Um, and I, that was incredibly painful. And I thought that was a really well done um, part of the film because I thought it really tied together nicely everything that, um, 
the book is about as well, which is, I mean, the book is about, you're not really alone, but there is a moment where you're like, maybe I am, maybe I do have to figure this out on my own and I am responsible for my decisions. And there's not some higher person who will give me the answers in the way that I would like to see them. Whether God or a parent or or a teacher. (laughs) Yeah, or a teacher. Yeah, like no one can tell you what to do. You just have to do the right thing, um, which is full of trial and error, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I like that there was, there's elements of realism, you know, where, and I remember this from the book, like she and her little group of friends, the four girls uh, make fun of, um, oh my God, I, I forget her first name now, Danker. Uh, oh. Oh my God. I just had it earlier too. Well, there was this girl in the class who, developed a little bit sooner and so there's rumors that you know there, there's a bit of slut shaming yeah. that happens where yeah. you know, it's like oh she let the boys like touch her boobs or whatever and then it just turns out that so you know through the book and I when I read this when I was 11 I would I was with yeah. Margaret like oh there's this like bad girl in the class and then it just turns out that you know the the developed girl is knows that she's being bullied about these things Mm -hmm. and these rumors and she's very devoutly Catholic. And so it's even more painful to her that people are saying things. But, and so then they become friends because like I, I, in my head canon, I'm like Margaret and Danker, whatever her first name is, like became best friend. Laura, thank you. In my head canon, they like became best friends in high school and like still talk today. And they're like in their seventies because yeah. of the origin story was like so unique um but it was mm-hmm. also clear to me that margaret and janie became really good friends because gretchen and um the the and nancy her, thank you gretchen and nancy yeah. were like a little too catty for her um mm-hmm. yeah and i and yeah. one of my favorite scenes in the in the movie is her friend nancy is the ringleader for all the girls you know she's the one that's like talking about sex and and uh kind of and she's wealthy and she's always kind of bringing up all these like mature things like mm-hmm. making rules for them and crushes and and everybody has to like follow this this thing otherwise you're in the you're either in our in group or you're in the out group and the family like her family takes them all to broadway to see a show and they're out to dinner and nancy rushes to the bathroom and we're under the impression that nancy had already gotten her period and margaret is so jealous like Nancy had sent her this postcard saying, I got my period. And so Nancy's in the bathroom and suddenly she starts to cry and bawl. Mm-hmm. And she's like, get my mom. And Margaret has no idea what's going on. Like she's completely shocked yeah. by this. And then as the audience already kind of has figured out, Nancy has gotten her period and Nancy is just a complete wreck. She's so mortified about it. She's going through this like whole emotional roller coaster. She was, she, apparently was not as quote unquote brave or confident as we thought. And Margaret, you know, has to, and so her mother leaves the bathroom after giving her, you know, a sanitary napkin. And so Margaret and Nancy have to face each other. And I kept thinking, Margaret, you, you should hug Nancy. Like Mm. Nancy is going like in my mind, I'm like, Nancy knows she's done wrong. She's Mm -hmm. really vulnerable right now. Margaret does not forgive her. Margaret is not really empathetic to Nancy. She's angry that Nancy lied and that Nancy made her feel a little bit less than. And I, and I'm not, you know, quote unquote, mad at Margaret for not quote unquote doing the right thing. But I, I kind of wish Margaret had had the emotional maturity in the moment to comfort her friend instead of holding on to that 
that those begrudging feelings, but it, that's what maturity is. Like, you know, you're 11 years old yep. and, and you are, you sometimes get hung up on your own righteousness. Um, yeah. Yeah. So that, that I loved that scene as well. Yeah. Um, especially for the way that it, the film like sort of shifts between the um, sort of catastrophic nature of, or just the big feelings, the big emotions mm-hmm. of being of, of puberty um, and the mother's perspective when she comes into the bathroom and realizes what's happened. She's like, yeah. oh dear, like, you know, and I think in that moment, like Nancy, who was really this larger and life figure in Margaret's world because she was so cool and so mature and so confident, sort of like, I mean, shrinks before our eyes is the phrase I'm leaning towards, but it's not really that. I think she that's just, a, you, but yeah. but it, it, she does. She's, she's yeah. made mortal. In that yes. moment. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. You're like, yes. this is, she's just a kid and you realize that. And I think it totally makes sense, Robin, that you've had this urge. You're like, you should hug her. Um, and I wish, I wish she had done that too. But I also am like, Nancy is sort of annoying. <laughs> she was, but it would have been such a fucking power move on Margaret's part. Robin's, Robin's like, like playing 3D chess or 4D chess. Right. Over she's like, she's yeah, just she like, is. this is, this is my time to shine. And but it's just here, like, no, I'll tell you why. It's, it's just you a kill friend with kindness. You kill it's them just with a friend kindness. going through a rough time, you yeah. know. But yeah, I think I think also Margaret, you know, to be fair, I think Margaret is also shocked at that moment. Mm-hmm. Like she doesn't know how to deal with this situation because she's like, "Wait, you already?" And she's like putting it together, and she's just like, "What the fuck? Why would you? Why would you lie about that?" You know, and yeah. it's like it's like why why is this such a big deal to you? And also, this is so weird that this is happening. You know, the timing of it is so just fucking weird. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's and the fact that she has this kind of big emotional breakdown as well. It's just heightening all of this stuff. There's there's so many things when like I was around that age that, you know, I had someone else reacting big and emotionally. And, you know, I I wish I had reacted differently to that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So I think yeah, the I mean, idea that people lie though, that's so I mean, that's so real to adulthood, right? Yeah. That like people will lie to your face and like that for, I for think that was, stupid things as well. For like, very, yeah, for very silly reasons. And I think Margaret, that experience was very true to life. Like I think you're right, like Bill about the shock on her face. She was just like, why? I, I think it was like this moment we remember where she's like, I didn't even think of that as a possibility. Yeah. <laughs> like lying about my period never occurred to me, but it obviously did to Nancy. I don't think I ever lied about anything to bolster my feelings of superiority. Like I was always very, instead of lying to make myself sound cooler, I was just like brutally honest about mm. how weird I was because it's mm-hmm. like a different type of cultural capital as a kid I mean yeah interesting it's like I got more attention for the true things that I experienced or did than I ever would have gotten from being like oh I did this thing that never really happened yeah. Well, I mean, I, I guess you had a lot of cool experiences, but you know, not everybody no, I'm has saying cool it's the experiences. Opposite. <laughs> but no, I'm not saying it's not cool experiences. It, what I'm saying is like I leaned into how weird and vulnerable I felt in an open way because that I guess it was like funny or 
I don't know, or I got sure. more attention for being like the weird kid. Is mm-hmm. what I'm saying. Mm. Okay. Well, yeah, weird yeah. kids get a lot of attention. <laughs> yeah, they do. They do. I'm trying to think if I. I mean, I grew up in a very uh, Christian household, very mm. Pentecostals, and so I just was like, can't lie, because I'm not trying to go to hell. So I yeah. that was I was it was fear driven until I, you know, I'm no longer as rigid, but I'm like whatever. But at, at the time, I think as a kid, I was like so afraid of lying because I just thought, oh, I, I'll for sure be found out, you know, like there's yeah. no way you could get away with it. Well, I, I mean, recently... that's instilled from from an early age with like, yeah. you know, especially this like elf on the shelf kind of shit that's going on <laughs> right now. Like that is that is so fucking just to me that's diabolical like that's <laughs> just so fucking weird like well santa sh- is supposed to know like whether the, i know whether the i elf know is like you know but the elf is a physical object that you're now actually putting on a shelf versus like santa is like this theoretical thing being creature people put crucifixes that, like, on their walls like jesus is always watching you uh, uh sure There's i guess i guess that's a like, thing the the moral knowledge of some higher power and like this motherfucker on the shelf <laughs> bottles or whatever is here to watch only you and will be sending a report to santa <gasps> yeah like elf yeah. On, i don't that's... do elf on the shelf and my daughter even said like can we do elf on the shelf i was like Fuck no. I didn't say fuck <laughs> to my six-year-old, I should say. <laughs> no, I <was> like, bitch. <laughs> I was like, absolutely not. And she said, why not? I was like, because I don't want to. And she said, okay. I was like, I'm not even yeah, going to. You realize you have an easy kid, right? Yeah, yeah. I am. I, I. First of all, she wasn't always easy. We've worked very hard to build a rapport where we can <laughs> We tamed the beast. <laughs> she and I, I, like, there was a point when she was younger where I sat her down and I was like, this is unfair. But it's you and me, and you need to help out by, like, you know, being helpful when I ask and doing all this stuff. And she, like, I think appreciated that she was given that opportunity because she always used to, like, follow me around and pretend she was doing chores with me anyway. Because, you know, <laughs> that that's, like, a bonding thing. It's like, oh, let's do it together. And so, yeah, I, I did at some point have to say, like, there has, like, yeah, there is latitude, obviously. You can always ask me something. But there has to, like, you have to help out. We're not going to make it if you're not, like, a team member. So, like, we, you know, mm. we're on a team together. You got to be a team player. She was like, oh, okay, great. Damn. Wow. <laughs> Real talk. Look, like, like I, I tried for a while to be like, everything's fine. Nothing's strange. Like, this is all good. But I was like, look, it's you and it's me. And we can't depend on your mother for fucking shit. I, again, did not say these specific words to my six-year-old. But like, you know, it's we're not operating on a level where there's another human being who can be sought to be a responsible person. So we got to just rock this together. And uh, luckily, she's up to the task (laughs) most times. (laughs) What a good little soldier. Um, I mean, I'm curious. (laughs) And, and, you know, the lying thing, like, you know, one one of the one of the ways that, you know, I have a quote unquote easy child now is that we went through the difficult things. So like one time she spilled a cup of milk and tried to hide it. But what she didn't realize was that she had spilled it on the coffee table. So even though she went and like found a towel and soaked it up, the coffee table is uh, has a hinged top so that you can fold up the sides and like get like put stuff yeah. in it, like you know remotes or whatever. And 
so the milk had gone through the crack and fell down into the the cargo area and fucked a bunch of shit up um so i when i found this out you know i had my moment of like why did you do and then finally i was like you know calm down sat down i was like i am not upset that you spilled the milk that happens the part Mm. that is upsetting Mm. is that by lying to me and trying to hide a mistake from me you made things a lot worse Mm. and so So you need to build a culture of safety Right. So I was like, you, well, you, yeah. you are you, like, if you come and say, I made a mistake, I'm okay with that. That's not where the trouble is. The trouble is if you come to me and say, everything is fine. And then I find out that the kitchen's on fire. Like that's, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, you need to come to me to help so that we can help again, being a team to fix the things that are wrong. It is, and you know, like not, you know, I didn't say this there, but it's not the crime. It's the cover up. All right. Like, yes. <laughs> You know, we well, need to, we I, need I to think... cut the gangrenous limb off before the rest of the body dies. So obviously, like, <laughs> I, she helped me to clean the table. Because There's she... a lot of, like, imagery in this story. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what to tell you. But, um, yeah, I... so that's that's how that works, you know. It, and, like, when I was a kid, I remember just, like, the, the energy that went into lying. Because, like, you say the one line, mm-hmm. and it's like, okay, but, like, now... You've got to keep it straight. Yeah, yeah. I got to keep then doing it. And then, like, they're going to find interrogated... out... Yeah. Yeah. Like how how well can this story hang on? And like the honest truth is when you're like five, it can't hang on for long, man. You're not good. No. I could <laughs> well, probably I think... keep a lie going now, but like sure. I just don't have the time to do it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I think one thing that's interesting about that specific instance is that's that's an adult thing that a lot of adults haven't learned. And it's not necessarily lying. But being honest and open that you made a mistake. There are so many fucking adults that I deal with on a daily basis that will just not admit ever making a mistake. And if you mm. if you try and suggest that they made a mistake, they go fucking berserk. And it's just like, dude, you need to be able to admit a mistake because you are not going to learn anything without that situation happening, right? You can't just pretend that everything you do is perfect because Mm -hmm. otherwise you're never going to learn. And also it creates this anxiety with other coworkers or other friends or other people around you that like making a mistake is a bad thing. I was reading, uh, I guess I'm now getting served like, uh, not TikToks, but Instagram, like little little visual aids on like how to be a good parent, and it stemmed from how to deal with like ADHD. And it was talking about how one of the best things you can do as a parent, and like I'm trying to like integrate this into my own personal life, and you know, with a little bit of a, a change. But they say go to your kid and ask them what mistakes did you make today and what did you learn from it hmm. like like let's talk about the mistakes that we made today and let's talk about what we learned from it so that way it's like hey we made a mistake but what did we learn from that mistake right and so it becomes okay to you know make a mistake and then kind of process it right because that's hmm. that's a a a next level adulting thing where you mm. 
you can see, oh, I made a mistake. Now, how do I deal with this mistake? What did I learn from this mistake? Right. Versus let me just do that thing again. Oh, I made a mistake. Let me just do that. No, fucking stop. And then think about what you're trying to do. Why is it not working? And then let's try and do it again. And that's kind of funny because in the movie, Nancy never apologizes. Am I? Yeah. Yeah. Bitch, she is. And it's funny because I'm, and again, in my head canon, I'm like, oh my God, in high school, Margaret and Laura Danker, like, tell everybody what Nancy did. Like, they, like, make fun of her. Robin, will you write this book for me? Yeah, you really are. You know, you know what's funny? Also, this is how you know that Robin was definitely a part of the fanfic community. (laughs) I I never, if somebody did that to me in sixth grade by, like, ninth grade or uh by like maybe even senior year to been like oh my god like nancy was such a loser she fucking told me she got her period and then she got her period at a restaurant and she what totally an cried for her mommy exactly i would have told everybody about that that's because you have again like again this is where the like italian jewish crossover comes from you've got that like like Italian vengeance, like you know, it's best. <laughs> but I'm also a Yenta, so <laughs> yeah. So vengeance through gossip for you is like just ah, uh, yeah. It, it's it's funny because I just realized that Nancy Wheeler. I was like, why do I recognize that name? That's the name from one of the main girls in Stranger Things. Um, oh. And I wonder, oh. I wonder if that's like a direct correlation, like because yeah. Uh, not that that Nancy Wheeler is all that bitchy or like mean, she like but she's generally a nice person. Yes, but she, yeah, she, she kind of starts out like, yeah, kind of on this edge. Yeah. Yeah. So she, she could fall one way or the other and she ends up falling the other direction. So, mm-hmm. but yeah, I wonder if that's that. Cause like it's spelled the exact same, like this is. And yeah, this Judy Bloom novel is not necessarily like, you know, some some small time thing. This is a big, you know, fundamental uh text for a lot of people. So yeah. Um but, agreed. Yeah. So did you guys ever have a rumor spread about you in the way that Laura Denker had one about her? Ooh, that's a good question. Mm. I didn't have a rumor. I had a, a literal thing that like I did when I was drunk at a party, and then like, that became like, a like, thing. Wait, you just had a reputation. Yeah, it was it was a real thing that I did that I was I was dumb and you know pre or teenage do? drunk. Oh no, I'm not I'm not revealing that here. Oh, oh come on, <laughs> nice. Bill. Nice. Yeah. No, I, I respect um, it. I respect it. Yeah. I was the I I was I was like a half subject of a rumor uh, that spread around a sorority house when I was in college. Oh dang! Mm. I was what? <laughs> yeah, kind of. I mean, like, yeah. There, there, there was. I was watching a movie with a with a female friend of mine in the common room, and we were under a blanket together. <gasps> Nothing was happening. What <laughs> by the like pe- and people would walk by the room and we'd like hold a conversation with them and like you know we were talking about the movie we were watching but the next day there was amongst the entirety of the sorority um 
the the concept that I had been in some way interacting with this girl in a way that was not fit for the common room. Sexually explicit. Yeah. Oh, fuck. Yeah. I was like, wait, they said we were messing around like they say we were making out. And she's like, no, the the consideration was that. And then I don't know. I don't want to get that sexually explicit on the podcast. That's like the one thing I won't talk about, I guess, is the specifics Mm. of sex Um, with me anyway. But so like, yeah, I was like, your friends at this sorority just fucking hate me because I'm not a frat guy. And I come here. Honestly, looking like shit because I'm a fucking garbage person who's drunk a lot of the times, <laughs> and I smoke cigarettes, and I have like a ripped up trucker's jacket, and I constantly wear jeans and a t-shirt with shitty chucks. Like, yes, I understand I don't look like the usual house guest here, but that doesn't mean I'm fucking, you know, banging. Doesn't mean I'm couch. fucking. <laughs> right. I was like, period. I was like, I don't understand this. I'm friends with a lot of these people. Like, why are they saying this? It's like, I don't know. You just have the thing. I'm like, why? Like, you, the frat guys are so much worse than me. The date rape culture? Mm. Are you fucking kidding me? But people think, and like, consensual stuff on a couch is suddenly a scandal? Like, oh my God. I was yeah, so annoyed. Sure. Clearly, I still have feelings about it. Yeah, you clearly yeah. do. What about you? Well, I, I think, I think I, maybe maybe it's also the common room kind of situation yeah, as well. Yeah, it's a public experience. Right, right. Just the idea happened. of that. <laughs> I, I know, I, but that's I'm the room. Right? Now I wish it had. Like, I'm correcting the record now Ooh, forever. Okay. Uh, no, I, I, did I have any rumors? I mean, yeah, there were rumors started about me when I was in middle school. I think at the time it felt very devastating, you know, like such a betrayal. But now I'm like, if there's gossip about me, I'm like, ooh, what's the goss? What'd you exactly. I'm like, I would love to be the subject. Do you think my life is spicy? Cause it's not, I go to bed at 10 PM. So. <laughs> and you're getting I'm braces not, and I'm getting braces. I'm not out here doing anything. <laughs> so it would be such a blessing to be gossiped about um, now, but in middle school, it felt incredibly, yeah, I felt like incredibly betrayed. And I was like, oh, yeah, it's why, an absolute why would people talk about me? Um, there were rumors about me kissing people I never <gasps> kissed. So that was that was my seventh, seventh and eighth grade rumors about wow. me. Wow. Yeah. Oh, mine were way less spicy than that. <laughs> really? <laughs> well, mine went from so uh there were what comes to mind is three things. One, I was I've actually become more friendly with somebody in middle school that I was not friends with. I think because we follow each other on Instagram. And yeah. she, we were bonding over reading another middle school acquaintance's self-published memoir oh, and it's a whole thing. not self-published it was oh my I, God, yeah, incredible. self-published uh, um I mean, self-published real- online or self-published in physical form it it, it was a real book she self-published a book oh, that i boy. also uh, read and actually it was interesting but the the person i was bonding over this with told me that there were rumors that i had a creepy doll collection which is <gasps> very interesting because nobody had ever been to my house. That's yeah. why they thought you had a creepy doll collection because you wouldn't they, let people into your house. Oh, I didn't let anybody in my house. And B, it's like clearly they extrapolated something from what I was sharing with them about my life, which is that I did have a lot of dolls and I love dolls, but I guess it it got it. You know, heightened to creepy doll collection. Well, yeah, those if your ones. life is a creepy doll. Book, like people are gonna like fill in Sid. Those... Like they're probably not like Sid, like, but more like a lot of like creepy porcelain, old porcelain you know, frilly yeah. dolls. Yeah, I think gotcha, that's gotcha. Old. So, gotcha. so creepy, creepy to start with, not 
creepy because you made them creepy. Yeah, exactly. But in hindsight, that actually kind of makes sense that I, I probably did have a creepy doll collection and I probably <laughs> told people about it. Like it's, it's, it's like, not that it was terribly distorted. It just, it wasn't the way I thought about it. And huh. then the other thing that I heard about myself, oh, people, because I said I didn't believe in God, like it came up in some conversation in seventh grade. Um, there was a rumor I was a witch. So that was another thing. I was never Wiccan or anything like that. I was about I liked to Harry say, Potter. was this during like the Wiccan craze of... It was during, yeah, it was like very much like the Pen15 episode of, of whatever Wiccan, but I was never part of that. And then Absolutely. in college, there was a very spicy rumor because I had described a Tool song. Like I was saying like, oh, listening to Tool is like XYZ, you know, something really powerful, whatever. There was a rumor that I was into BDSM because of the way I described my enjoyment of Tool. Um, wow, people you were like, really I know. taking anything and I was like running with it. Robin was virgin. like apparently <laughs> just I was like, like, a, like an extreme virgin at that time. Yeah, I just yeah. love the fact that you liked Tool so hard that people assumed you were into hardcore BDSM. Exactly. Just <laughs> somersaulting to conclusions. Tool? My God. What? Wait. What did you say? Somersaulting no, conclusions. to conclusions. Yeah, yeah. yeah. that's <laughs> literally jumping. what it. Forward handspring all the way. I'm such a nice girl. I'm wondering now if there were rumors about me, like that I just wasn't aware of. Like maybe because I I remember all the rumors I heard about other people, and a lot of them were fucked up. Um, but I also think that like they are the type of like universal rumors that you hear. All the time, like I don't like meme mimetic rumors. You know how like yeah. every kid knows the. Or I'm gonna say this, and you're all gonna be like, "What are you talking about?" You know the say Jingle it. Bells song, but it's about Batman. Yes, right. Yeah. That's how did no. we all learn that? Like that just came out of nowhere. Like what was the dissemination mm-hmm. point? And it's the same thing. Yeah, it like, wasn't the internet when I was. It was, was young. a meme. It, <laughs> yeah, it, it was a, a virtual or it's a like, physical meme. Right. It's a well. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> it's like oral a cultural culture meme. meme. <laughs> it's like it's like yeah. the genetic original meaning of the meme. You know, it's like it just exists. Like one kid heard it, brought it on vacation, and it just spread like polio. Oh God, what a terrible thing to say. Um, yeah, come on, man. But my daughter came into the car and was like, dad, I learned a song in school today and started singing that song to me. And I was like, holy shit, it's still out there. <laughs> Someone no, found the virus it. Is still- <laughs> it's, it's a Necronomicon it's or whatever. It's it's the book of the dead. It's you're just like, oh, oh my God, it's, it's the, the book back. of the dead. <laughs> so uh, not to jump us back to I thought to I David. burned it. To David Lowry, but in in David Lowry's movie, uh, A Ghost Story, there's a point where a dude at a party is drunk and he's he gives this kind of speech about like eternity and like, you know, he it's all about Beethoven's fifth. And he's like, you know, even oh, yeah, something yeah, yeah. like that, yeah. it's going to last forever. Like we're on a new planet and like someone just is humming that because it's so elemental. But even that person's going to die one day. It shouldn't have been Beethoven's fifth. It should have been the Jingle Bells Batman Smells song. Mm. That's the one that's going to outlive us all. That'll go in your novel slash film when you make it. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Which one is that? What is that? I don't know. Whenever you do. Um, should, yeah. Um, I don't know. Uh, so I think we all really liked Are You There, God, It's Me, Margaret, and have convinced Brian to see yeah, it's it. a great movie. Yeah. I, I don't have to see it. I feel like I already watched <laughs> no, it. No, you've got to see it. I will you've probably watch it. it at some point because especially like, 
I don't know. I feel like it'll be it'll be fun to watch. I don't know. Does anyone feel like it's going to be an awards thing? Like, is is it going to get brought mm, up? No, did it make it enough exists? money? No, I don't think oh, okay. it will be. I think it'll no, just be a it's, nice little it's, classic. It's film. too nice. Yeah. It's too yeah. nice to be anything awards buzzy and stuff Phil, like that. I want to but... remind you that Coda won Best Picture, and I love Coda, but that's the nicest <laughs> movie ever. Coda Coda is also heavily around like having deaf people as well and this is this is not even like close to that like the, nobody's so really dealing with like disability bump absolutely i think right. i think that's what kind of made it a unique and interesting story is so is like that situation there. okay i guess i can yeah. that yeah i'm sure and also there. I'm, Apple, sure, I'm sure a lot Apple of voters did, were like oh the deaf movie right yeah, because all sure, voters I'm are sure. the worst people on earth. Sure, but but I mean that's that's how we I, I reduce everything. Like, yeah, we're we're reducing everything to its base thing. You know, it's it's like you know your daughter is like, oh, Tinkerbell's brown haired now. And it's like, yeah, okay, and yeah. you know, it's like you're not like whoa 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 whoa. <laughs> you know, you're just like okay. Sure. I mean, if that's if that's what you want to label it as, I mean, we call it the fish fucking movie. So, you know, it, it just mm. oh, yeah, the fish fucking movie. <laughs> I was like, do, do, do you, <laughs> does our guest? I, I don't want to fucking butcher your name. I haven't said Lovia. it. Uh, Lovia. Uh, do you know what I'm talking about when I say fish fucking movie? I do know. I think. Okay. Not Little Mermaid. It's, it's a movie <laughs> no, that not purports to show the dimensions of a fluid. <laughs> the shape, I, of, the water. shape of water. Yes, yes. I, do. I knew that. <laughs> so I, I honestly, honestly you know sometimes you, forget the title. When you're put on the spot and then you're like... No, yeah, yeah, no, no. Do I, I, I do this know? all the time. Oh I do God. this all the time. Yeah. It's like when I was playing the cinephile game on Zoom at the start of the pandemic and like the topic was Brad Pitt movies and I just like blanked. Oh my God. And then you blank and you're like, yeah, you just forget. What has he ever been? Who is Brad Pitt? Ask me about Shea Wiggum. Ask me about Justin Thoreau. Why are we talking about Brad Pitt? This no name hack. Of course you love Shea Wiggum. I love Shea Wiggum. He's like the only reason. Well, no, him and Matthew Reese are the only reason and and uh Christopher Chalk. I don't know. Almost everyone is the reason I'm still watching Perry Mason even though I don't think it's a particularly Jesus. good show. Did you say Jesus? Yeah, this is this book is a This book is 149 pages. Oh man, I could have read that. Like it. An hour. Yeah, I told you yeah, could read. Totally. I highly doubt you, that I actually You could have fucking re- listened to the audiobook, dude. Me? Oh, yeah. you know what? That's Does Judy Bloom narrate the audiobook? Do we know? Ooh. Oh, that. Oh, well, we're just gonna have. To I, had a, Ro- <laughs> I had a question for Robin. I had a question for Robin. Actually, yeah. Robin, did you feel like as you or or Bill can also answer this? But do you guys feel that now that you've reflected on the film a little bit more, that there are things that you wish um, Freeman Craig had done? That ways that I was she curious. Push. I want to hear what you ha- thought well, about I that think, because I think like the period part. I was like thinking about this the other day and I was like, huh, like, I guess it is a really nice movie and maybe the point of it is not showing the blood, but I did kind of. Didn't we see that in s- uh, Catherine? Uh, oh my God. Catherine called birdie. They showed blood in that, right? Yeah. I, I haven't seen Catherine called birdie yet. Actually. So I shouldn't say, but I, Oh, you haven't. For oh. Some, no, but I think I will love it. So it, it maybe was, I will uh, watch it was it good, but it's, oh, it's, okay. I, I like, I liked aspects of it. Um, okay. 
it, but it is it is an interesting comparison because Lena Dunham, I think, does push the envelope, and I do yeah. like her work. And yeah, she did show period blood from what I remember. Mm. I think that's the only thing. Well, then I'll maybe I'll watch that tonight. But I was thinking about that, and I was like, did I want this to be a little bit more? More to have a little bit more bite, yeah. Yeah. But but that's not really. And then I was like, maybe I'm misremembering Judy Bloom, but that's never what Bloom was really about for me. Like it's her her book's really about feelings. Yeah. I I think I think from from a certain perspective, right? Like Mm -hmm. I'm a male, so I'm I'm gonna try and not step on anybody's toes here. But I also think this is one of those things where you don't show something because that lends itself to a little bit more universal universality. Right. Mm. So that way people can be like, Oh yeah, it was really dramatic. And then, you know, maybe in the toilet, you see this little drop of blood and people are like, Oh, well that's not very dramatic, you know? And mm, but for, for the girl, it's like, Holy shit. You know? Well, it didn't uh, come out of your nethers bill. So even if it was a little drop of blood, I think if if your penis started dripping blood, you probably would be a little alarmed. Even Again, I'm I I am not saying that she shouldn't be alarmed. I am saying that if because immediately my wife was talking about when she got her first period, right? Uh, when we were driving back home, and so it's one of those things where maybe that experience is, oh my god, like there was so much blood my first time. Whereas some people, I'm sure, don't have, you know, I mean, th- this is the differences between menstruation just in women, period, right? Some people have really bad cramps. Some people have very little cramps. Some people really bleed. Some some people don't. Some people do all of these other things, right? And so there's all of this different realm and spectrum. So if you show, like, maybe you show a lot of blood, people are going to be like, "Well, that's ridiculous. It wasn't that that bloody." Or if you show oh, a little, too blood, many people would compare. And yes, yeah. yes. And I think I think mm. you leave it. You leave it up to the viewer's kind of imagination. And you base it on their reaction, right? Like this, this is like classic, like horror stuff where you don't show the creature because actually showing the reaction of the person, you know, uh, to the creature is more dramatic and more suspenseful because that just, you know, builds that tension and, you know, allows you to kind of inhabit that person versus you looking at something and going, it's not a big deal. But yeah. and also the creature I, can sometimes look ridiculous and, and sure, exactly. laughter. Yeah. And, and I kind yeah. of get that. But I also think that there's something about periods in general in the culture that is there's like a skittishness and avoidance of it. Yeah, so maybe that's absolutely. what I was is that and that yeah, like, periods are dirty. Yeah, like I think I was thinking of like and it's not a great example. I think Rupi Kaur, the poet, one time posted a blood bloody like a photo of her. And her Tampon? pants were bloodied. No, oh, I think okay. just her pants. Like she was w- laying down. Her, I'm not remembering the image correctly, but it was bloodied. Evidence of a period. And Instagram had like removed it because it oh. violated their community guidelines. And it was like there was such an uproar about it because she reposted it. And she was like, why does this violate community guidelines when like there are billions? 
millions of people in the world who get their period. Um, yeah. And so I think that their period itself has such a... Oh, it's hugely stigmatized. Such, it's so stigmatized and like the, we're in this like time of like heightened um, aggressive actions against bodily autonomy that maybe that's a part of me was like, oh, maybe I would have wanted to see that just... But I, I think it wouldn't maybe have fit with the general tone of the film, which... But I think it's a yeah. fair thought and and critique i agree it's, I mean, it's a fair question for sure like why why not right like yeah. not 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 yeah. that it, you have to have it big and bombastic or anything like that or you know like why not even show just a little or why not show it at all um i do think the video does a, a decent you know job of kind of you know the video being the vi- the film reel that the girls watch yeah yeah mm-hmm. I, I think yeah. i think seeing the girls reaction right all, all to that uh i love that sequence when you see the the male teacher as soon as the video like you know or i think it's as soon as the teacher starts talking about and we're gonna talk about menstruation and the <laughs> the male teacher is like fucking bouncing he's just like nope i'm out of here <laughs> yeah is, i I was also kind of classic guy reaction. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I didn't remember that they played seven minutes in heaven in the book. And so when she gets double kissed by the hot guy in the class, Mm -hmm. I was even a little surprised that we got to see that. Maybe it's also Mm. more. What is double kiss? Is that a thing that I don't know about? He kissed her not once, but twice. Oh yeah, so that's really that's just, just that a weird way of saying that. Yeah, <laughs> shut up. Um, <laughs> but I, but I, maybe I'm just used to more prudishness in films directed towards or targeted towards this age group, like the because if it's a middle school book, then it's really a book that elementary school kids are going to read um, because mm. kids so, tend to read and watch up. So mm-hmm. it was it was nice to see. You know, it wasn't sexuality per se, but it it evoked something in that arena. I I think one of the things that I was I was listening to a podcast and they were talking about, uh, you know, the best like coming of age and they were listing their own like top five. And they were talking about how few of these films there are that actually is around the middle school age that my girl a lot of them a lot of them are younger or a lot of them are are in you know teenagers 17 16 15 but middle school is just kind of this weird gray area where a lot of you know films just don't really delve into um i think they they shouted out um uh the wonder years the the original as like a great like yeah, coming of age show. like show that really mm-hmm. kind of dealt with you know you know the kid grows up as you watch the show so you know he's going through uh you know certain time periods in his life and everything like that so but Harry yeah I thought, I thought that was that was interesting sure and Harry you know Potter grows it, from a 10 year old to a, an 18 year old in the book Mm-hmm. Yeah. Almost and and of course those themes and everything like that start to mature as you as you go up in the books and stuff like that um yeah but yeah, yeah but, my, but i thought this was a great companion piece to my girl which is a film that 
Lovia, we covered about two years ago for its anniversary. Um, mm. and we all, from what I remember, we all liked it. And oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It would be bees. great companion God, pieces. the bees. The, the world's yeah. greatest enemy. <laughs> so do we have final thoughts about this movie? So I really liked it. I thought it was. A... I clearly. <laughs> I feel like I've watched it now. I, I think back in a movie. I don't know. Is that I think, yeah, I think what's phenomenal. I think one of the things that I enjoyed so much, and you know, obviously this is this comes from the novel as well, but I think one of the things I like so much is this idea that the girl that develops first is suddenly like the target and like the rumor monger and stuff like that. I think that's that's so fucking weird and i remember in high school like you know observing the women or women jesus the girls <laughs> or not 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 in high school in in middle school observing the girls that were you know developing before others and it was just it was so to me i remember that being a thing that they kind of flaunted not kind of were shamed for. And of course, mm-hmm. inside this little friend group, whoever, you know, the the Laura character, I think, or uh, the, is it Nancy? Yeah, the Nancy character. She's like flaunting the fact that she's got, you know, bigger breasts than these other 11 year olds. And it's like, yeah, everybody's negative and they're she's double A. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but, it, but it's like, it's like, dude, get a fucking grip. Like, <laughs> You know, well, they're mean and, to Laura Denker because they're jealous of her. It's only exactly, about that. Exactly. And, and you know, if if Laura Denker was in that friend group, she would kind of be the alpha, I guess, in a way, right? Like mm, Laura's I don't know, personality. Her personality is so. Not, that's not what I'm saying, though. I'm saying if she was Nancy, right? If she was, if she body swapped with Nancy. Right. And the personality stayed the same. She would definitely be the alpha because mm-hmm. she would flaunt it even more. Right. But she wouldn't be criticized for it. But oh, instead, she's outside that friend circle. And so she's being criticized for it. She's an object of that. But also, I thought it was hilarious that, like, the girl they cast in that role, she, like, it was funny because when she walks in and uh Laura or Margaret is like, is that the teacher? I was like, that's a legit question. I'm looking yeah. at this at this girl and I'm like, she fucking looks 18 or 20 years old. Like, what are we talking about? I was just like, what the fuck? She's not the teacher. That's that's a fucking 10 year old. Like, what are we doing here? I so. think she looked like 15 to me or 14. Sure. Yeah. But yeah, she she looked. I thought it was going to be found out that she was held back. Um, and and instead it was just like, oh no, she just developed faster than the others. I, I remember in uh elementary school, I remember going through the weird phase of being one of the like average size kids, and then all of a sudden all the girls around me shooting up in height and just being like, what the fuck is going on right now? And then, you know, now I'm a five, four adult male and I'm like, Oh, (laughs) that was it for me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It was like, yep. Okay. (laughs) So, but yeah, I don't know. 
I, I, I never saw the girls that developed early being the target of ridicule for that. I always saw them mm. as kind of flaunting that. I don't know how y'all, you know, saw other teen, preteen girls. I think there was some ridicule when I was a teenager, but that's because, I mean, I don't know. Puberty's like a weird stage. You're like insecure. Young people are really insecure. I mean, as we see with Nancy Wheeler, you like make fun of other people so you can feel better than them, you know? Um, I think I'm thinking in terms of final thoughts about the film. I, I just, I really, I think the longer I think about this film, or the more I think about this film, the more I just really appreciate it, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think it's like, um, it's just, I was just very charmed and taken by all of it. We didn't talk about Benny Safdie's performance. Oh, yeah, he's so he's not in it as much as I would have assumed, and yet he yeah, makes such an impact. He does, he does. And also, I'm like, was this the same character he was playing in Stars at Noon? Did anyone see that? No, I no. haven't. Okay, well, anyway, they, they're, I, I won't. It's the Margaret Qualley movie. Yeah, yeah, there's also a, a Benny Safdie character in, in that film. Um, and the two speak to each other in my opinion but maybe Mm. people will disagree uh but i yeah i really i really also liked and appreciated the way that margaret's parents their parenting style was represented um which i just thought was very sweet you know that they sort of let her figure out things for herself um like at the end when she's asking she's like can i pay moose the boy that she has a crush on who ends up mowing her lawn and her parents are like oh Oh yeah, okay, Moose like, Freed. <laughs> Moose Freed, who's a lot meaner in the book. I don't know if you remember. Oh no, that no. Uh, oh uh, yeah, I, the, I don't know anything the, about that. But I, I, I thought, I thought they not only were not surprised that she wanted to pay them. I thought they were setting that up. Yeah, they were like. They were like, oh, hey, we haven't paid him (laughs) yet. So you want to go get the money so you can talk to him alone? You know, it's just like, hey, oh, I think parents know. Yeah, parents know. Well, there is that sequence early on when, you know, he injures his hand and all Mm -hmm. of a sudden he's he's mowing in the front lawn and she takes a book out there to go read. Right. Yeah. Oh, Benny. When Benny Safdie's character injures his hand or Moose. Uh Okay. Yeah. 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 And then Moose is is mowing and she sets out a, you know, a chair on the lawn is like, yeah, this is my entertainment for the weekend. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> so cute yeah delightful do you remember why moose was mean in the books in books he was wasn't me uh, no i think he was just like more like nancy's um brother but i only skimmed the early part of the book but he was I like d- he was like not friendly you know mm. or not like as like i think in the film he's sort of painted as a um a neutral star. opposite yeah and in the in the in the in at least in the parts of the book that i was able to skim before coming on here he was much more he was more biting like he'd make fun of them too you know it wasn't just nancy's mm-hmm. brother yeah but that makes now. girls horny <laughs> like actually makes him more attractive like the negging absolutely oh jesus yeah, yeah. Uh, meaner to people oh my god oh, no, please. Tom, these are the wrong lessons <laughs> yeah <laughs> 
You made a mistake. <laughs> no, Robin says I need to be mean to people. So <laughs> what? <laughs> All right. Well, yeah. yeah. Any final, any final, final thoughts on this movie before we pack it up? And say no, goodbye? no. I think this. I think this was a great conversation, and I am. I, I predict this will be in my top ten. Mm. All right. See, so that's what I'm saying. Nice. I've absolutely got to watch the movie because I need to know whether to say Robin, oh my God, or you know what, Robin, me too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. We had a lot of overlaps last year in we 2022. Did. Yeah. So we'll see. Look at us go. Um, so that's Are You There, God? It's me, Margaret. Uh, happy to say that this episode is longer than the movie itself. We did it. <laughs> we did it again. It's always the best when that happens. Um, so that's uh, that's all for today. Uh, don't forget that we are brought to you by our patrons over at patreon.com slash show. Go there. Give us your money. Um, we are also brought to you by Mubi, mubi.com slash filmstage for a free 30-day trial. And uh, check out the Mubi podcast wherever you find podcasts. Robin Barr, what are we talking about next week? Blackberry. Ooh. I didn't see that. Liked it. I haven't seen it yet. I'm excited to. We, Spoiler we, alert. It's yeah. good. Right. Okay, good. So they've, they've right. got all these movies about like products and bringing products to market and stuff. And um, yeah. Today, are you talking spake famously of Air or Tetris? Yeah. Or another Tetris, one. Or Hot Ones or whatever it's called. Flaming Wait, oh, Hot Ones. Yeah, the Flaming. <laughs> I haven't seen that either. No. So what's funny is today in church, the homily, the priest started off by talking about the pet rock. Which is a thing that I forgot I knew about. And that's what I need. I need someone to make a pet rock movie because that's fucking bananas that that was. A oh, thing. like literally the pet rock. I thought it was yeah. some kind of like parable. The no, parable like, of the, the pet yeah, rock. The, Jesus and the pet rock. When Jesus held up a rock and was like, dude, check it. <laughs> His name is Buddy. No, the pet rock. Rock on the shelf. <laughs> But it, so it was like an advertising exec like was like, hey, I um, I made this thing. It's called a pet rock and it comes in like a little gerbil box and it's like on crepe paper and like it comes with instructions to care for it. And um, I was like, wow, how have we not had a movie or like, you know, a 14 part Netflix docuseries about the creation <laughs> of the pet rock? Good so anyway, question. someone someone Good get on question. that. Yeah. Yes, after the strike, let's. Yeah, seriously, let's that is someone's post-strike dream. I'm gonna yeah. write my film. <laughs> I expect the, at uh, least the Netflix a, uh, series. an idea yeah. by credit. <laughs> I watched that Hulu you... documentary series about Von Dutch. That's one of those ones where I was like, "You guys probably could have done this in two episodes." I don't think you need mm. as many as you did. That's why I like BlackBerry, and we'll talk about it's. It could have been this long, drawn-out miniseries. And yet it was like a zippy, you know, under two hour movie. Loved Perfect. it. Yeah, I, I hope I have enough time to watch it. Um, I'm going to see it. I'm going to see it based on that recommendation, Robin. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious what you think. Too bad we can't have. We'll talk about we'll talk about that and and braces and jaws. Yeah, off, yeah. Offline. <laughs> yes, the 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 broken jaw blackberry discussion will happen. <laughs> um, so that's all for today. Uh, this has been a very fun discussion to listen into and sometimes be a part of. Uh, so let's tell the fine people at home where we can be found between now and the next time that we uh, discuss our movie opinions. Uh, Lovia, would you like to begin with uh, telling people where people can find you online? Oh, yeah. People can find me on Twitter at, at SimplyLovia, where I am not great at tweeting, but occasionally I'll tweet a piece. 
um, or at thehollywoodreporter.com where all of my reviews and opinions um, are published. Nice. All right, Bill Graham. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at CableBFG, but I don't tweet much. Uh, you can also find me on Instagram at Billstagram. And uh, yeah, always mixing it up in the Slack channel. All right, Robin Barr. Cool. Um, also find me on Twitter at R-O-B-Y-N-B-A-H-R. Don't tweet as much as I used to. Um, and also on Letterboxd, which I don't I don't put reviews on there, but I do rate movies, <laughs> um, which you is very controversial. <laughs> yes, I do rate them on a scale of four. I have to put that out there for all my fans. Um, and you can sometimes find my writing at The Hollywood Reporter as well. All right. Excellent. Uh, as for me, uh, you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, all of the social media things that I'm on at Brian J. Rowan, because I know how to keep my brand unified. Um, I can also be found, uh, if you want to learn more about my distillery and the whiskey that I make, go to inkwellwhiskey.com. Uh, we're having an art show this Saturday, so if you're in the D.C., Baltimore-ish area, uh, come to that and uh, support local artists. Um, what else? Also, uh, talking about Peter Pan and Wendy, my review of Peter Pan and Wendy, which I wrote with my own keyboard and computer, is still up over at the film stage. You mean it wasn't taken down for yeah, all of its, it's still there. horrifying <laughs> Yeah, content. I know. I just did a lot of really cancelable analogies, but no one's called me on it yet. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so no. So that's still there, and you can find every review I've ever written for that, as well as every episode of this year's podcast over at thefilmstage.com. So, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us, and tune in next week. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. God had a face. I'm just going to fade it out. <laughs>